0: Welcome to the Hunting Dog Public, where we talk about everything, hunting dogs, and more. I'm your host, Cody Moreland, and let's drop that tailgate. Today's Word Psalm 27:1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom? Shall I be afraid? Psalm twenty seven one. Hey guys, welcome to the Hunting Dog Public Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Morlin, and today we're talking to Mr. Mark Morrison. Mr. Mark is a big advocate for the hunting dogs. He served as a president for five years on the Mississippi Hunting Dog Association. They try to fight for the rights of dog hunters in the state of Mississippi. He also was on the board of directors for the OMCBA and the board of directors for the umca so he's pretty passionate about these hunting dogs i had a real good talk with him we talked for a while mr mark tells a lot of stories and and i really enjoyed them and i hope you enjoy them too here we go y'all stay tuned all right guys we have the one and only mr mark morrison mr mark why don't you tell us a little about yourself and where you're from
1: well, I, uh, live, I got a Canton, Mississippi address, but I actually live just about halfway between Canton and Carthage in, uh, central Mississippi. Um, not too far from the Ross Barnett reservoir and the Natchez Trace Parkway. And I've lived out here for what will soon be 16 years, but moved to Mississippi back in, uh, June of 91. So I've been here a little over 30 years now.
0: I got you. So obviously you're on this podcast, you've hunted hunting dogs. At what point was your first memory with a hunting dog? Did you grow up around hunting dogs, or was that later in life? I did,
1: I did not. Um, my daddy was in the Army, a career Army man, but he had grown up down around Selma, Alabama. And so, of course, growing up back in the 40s and 50s, he did a lot of hunting and fishing, including uh, occasionally hunting with hounds and feist and anything else that would tree a critter. But uh, again, being in the military and moving Jackson area of Mississippi is my 14th place to live in my life so we never did get settled for too long in one place and consequently I didn't do much hunting growing up so wasn't until about uh college latter part of college looking for something to do other than chasing girls and playing pick up basketball games and going to school I started still hunting for squirrels my uh daddy's mama lived down in the talladega national forest south of tuscaloosa and so i'd go down there either by myself or with some buddies and go sit across the road in the boundaries of the national forest and still hunt for squirrels is probably the first hunt i ever did
0: so you started still hunting in college uh right what like who got you into still hunting squirrels you just saw it on the internet and decided that that's something you or they didn't have internet back in. You no, saw it in the magazine say, man, we, we going back to, uh, <laughs> yeah, the,
1: uh the early eighties, uh, 84 through 88. But so what happened was, um, you know, like I said, I was just looking for something to do, get out, go down there, visit my grandma and get some fresh air. And of course, you know, my daddy you know, would talk to me about hunting and things like that. And we had done a little bit of that. Like when we lived in North Carolina, Fort Bragg, I think we did go out, you know, hunting for squirrels, but, so when I got to law school in Birmingham, um, because I was getting more and more interested in hunting, I had gotten subscriptions to Sports Field, Field and Stream, Outdoor Life. I think I had the three big three national, you know, hunting magazines at, at that time. And I uh, can't remember which one it was, but one of the uh, magazines had a monthly column in it by a fellow named Bill Tarrant, T-A-R-R-A-N-T. And it was called Gun Dogs, and of course, most of the articles were about Labs and you know Pointers and Setters and things like that. Well, I'm flipping through it one time um, in law school, and it was an article. This I love. It was something you know to do with like the lost art or traditional the Southern he- tradition of of uh, squirrel hunting with a dog. Well, man, I read that and I thought it was you know it was a very long article, just a page or two. Ironically enough, the guy that was being interviewed in that article was a fellow named Randy Panel from Blue Springs, Mississippi, that I got to meet many years at, uh, later after I moved over here. He was part of that club that used to be up there in New Albany. He used to meet at the fairgrounds with Bonnie mm-hmm. Rake, Straw and a whole bunch of others. But uh, anyway, it had at the end of the article, it said, well, um, if you want some hillbilly hunting tricks or training tricks or something, brother, this a little homemade pamphlet you can send you." you know, $5 or whatever it was. And, uh, you could send it over to Randy and he sent me this little thing back. So I got that read through it between that article I read and reading those tricks. I thought, well, hell, I'd probably do that. So I kept looking in the, uh, Birmingham newspaper. Cause back in them days, not only did we not have the internet, but we actually people read newspapers. And, uh, <laughs> so I saw a <laughs> squirrel dog advertise, a litter of squirrel dog puppies down around Tannehill state park. Um, just outside on the the Birmingham or Jefferson County, uh, Tuscaloosa County line. Uh So me and two buddies I went to law school with, this was school that just about was about ready to get out between my second and last year of law school. So we load up and drive on down there, and had one little old puppy left, and he was poor as a church mouse. I mean, heck, I think when they laid him out of the pen, which they had a little bit of everything in there, they had everything from running walkers to – uh beagles and everything like that he come out of there and he laid down in the darn uh fire ant pile and uh it but for my buddies talking me into taking the dog cody i mm-hmm. was gonna take a pass on it but i wound up giving the man 75 dollars and uh got the dog back home i lived in a one-bedroom condo right on the outskirts of downtown birmingham when i was in law school and Got him in there. And I could tell the dog just wasn't right. I mean, we didn't have hunt dogs when I was growing up, but we had dogs. And, you know, anybody with a lick of sense, you know, looked, the dog wasn't right. So I took him to the local <laughs> vet. And And so my $75 eight-week-old puppy turned into a $375 puppy real quick. Mm. I had to borrow money from mom and dad who lived up in Huntsville, Alabama at the time mm. to pay off the vet bill. But uh, anyway, he was kind of a, his mama. They showed me who supposedly was his mama, um, and she was a feist. And I guess his daddy was some kind of tree and farm shepherd or something like that. But anyway, long story short, um, he made a, even by my standards today, 30 plus years later, he actually made a very, very nice squirrel dog in spite of me, because I didn't know my butt from first base about it, other than what I'd read in this little old pamphlet. and I didn't know nobody to squirrel hunt, so I spent a lot of time with the dog. Hang on,
0: hang on. I don't want to gloss over that. The Mark Morrison's first dog was a feist.
1: Well, he was technically, <laughs> well, you want to hear something <laughs> really fun. So this is how this is this is how tree dog stupid I was. So flash forward to when I get over here, and I happened by just pure chance upon the fact that people actually had competition hunts and field trials through the Mississippi Squirrel Hunter Association. Bo was the dog's name. And he was, you know, probably eight, nine years old when I even went to my first one, but we didn't even bring a dog because I just wanted to see what it was about. But well, we we sitting out there and and to quote my son several times during the cast, he, to the point that these older gentlemen could actually hear him say this. He said, Daddy, Daddy. He said, Bo can do this. I said, I know, son, hush, hush. You know, we trying to hang back. We just want to look. And he wouldn't let it rest. He said, and he finally said, with all of us standing around waiting for the other dogs to treat him. He said, Daddy, he said, Bo can do this is a heck of a lot better than these dogs. <laughs> well, I showed up the next year with him, and sure enough, but for me getting cheated on the cast, I, I, I probably would have won the hunt. I still placed in the top ten. So I thought, well, man, this is fun. Bo's got a little bit more, you know, gas in the tank. And so I went, and most of the hunts we had back in those days, even though we hunted NKC rules in this organization, um, It wasn't NKC sanctioned hunt, but there were plenty of those around back in the, you know, in the day. Yeah. And so I need to get my dog registered. Well, this, again, is how dumb I was about tree dogs. So I'm thinking because I'd heard of black mouth curves back in the days because they're pretty common down here, especially in the South Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, Wobo well, had a jet black you know, roof of his mouth. So I sent off the NKC <laughs> and registered him as a black mouth cur. Yeah. When I eventually learned better before the dog died, I did re-register him as just a tree in because that's really what he was. He was too big to be a a, a feist. Um, not much too big, but still too big. They would let
0: you single register a blackmouth, Kerr back in?
1: I don't mean any disrespect to Dale Morgan or the NKC, but, you know, if it's got a pulse, it ain't got to have four <laughs> legs. And, you know, send in your $10 back in the day, you could register a house cat, I reckon, as a... Squirrel dog.
0: (laughs) Okay. Understood. So we can, (laughs) so, so to recap the story, you was in college, you found some people that had a puppy. You went with your buddies. They talked you into getting a puppy that you was going to pass on and turned out to be a pretty nice
1: dog. Yes. Turned out to be a very nice dog.
0: Okay. To this, to your standards today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, wouldn't tree a coon to save his life. Um, and was very independent he would let other dogs tree with him but he would not back another dog Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um you could hunt him with anything except for if it ever acted aggressive towards him it was like cranking a chainsaw cody and throwing it in your lap he was about 35 pounds but i can tell you what he would turn he turned a pit bull Why? i mean uh (laughs) <laughs> uh German Shepherd, he turned anything inside out, he, but otherwise, he was just a nice and easy-going dog, but that first hunt that I won a trophy with him, there was two dogs on the other side of the door where I was letting my son go up there to get the little old 10th place trophy, and as soon as we opened the door... And before I could do anything about it, my son's got the dog on the leash, walking in to put him on the bench to get his picture taken and his little old trophy. And two male dogs come from either side of it, front up on him, and you'd have thought we'd thrown a Wolverine up in that clubhouse. Oh hey. Oh yeah, I mean, like I said, because they come up, they kind of rushed up at him. Yeah. But like I said, I hunted the whole cast with him with two dog casts, um, one of which was a male, and never had a problem in the world because they were, back, but he just would not put up with any monkey business. Period to so, the day he
0: died it's 16 and a half years old <laughs> wow wow so at what age did you start competition hunting this little doe what age was i or what age was he what age was he did you start off as soon as I he started
1: well i started hunting him for fun because when i moved yeah. over here to take my first you know lawyer job man i didn't know nobody because i wasn't born and raised here mm-hmm. um other than people I work with, and none of them were interested in squirrel hunting, so I spent a lot of time, after you know, in my leisure time, going to public land and just hunting this dog. Mostly me and him by ourselves. Occasionally, I would run up on you know Ronnie Thompson. I don't know if you know ronnie he's a long time squirrel guy around here i actually ran up on ronnie one day at the management area that's now across the natchez trace parkway from my house just by happenstance he was out there hunting a little old street bred female as i recall and i was hunting old Bo, and uh we uh you know went to a few trees together. so that's how i originally met ronnie
0: i guess i'm trying to get a time frame you said you and your boy went to your first squirrel hunt just watching the first one like at what how many years uh, after you started pleasure hunting with a squirrel dog did you go
1: that was probably in 99 i want to say 1999 so 23 years you. ago thereabouts
0: you. so your little bow dog at that time would be mm, gosh
1: he was he was eight nine almost 10 years so, old so he, he was didn't...
0: he was a mature dog at the time he was not a pup at his first competition oh no
1: hunting. no 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 like i said i didn't know folks did that until yeah. he was a senior citizen <laughs>
0: <laughs> well he didn't have no puppy left in him at the time did he
1: no and he and he come he come into this world with no puppy i don't know if it was just his his makeup or his personality or being raised in that pen of who who knows what from a weaned age but uh no he was always a very uh, and smart still to this day smartest dog i've ever owned well wow. i mean just he just was uh, uh he was a special little animal that uh You know, I was very, very lucky because, again, I didn't know anything, didn't have any mentors or anything like that until much later in the squirrel dog world. And so he made a good dog in spite of me because I'm sure I did. I didn't have a shocking collar, thank goodness, and screw him up that way. I didn't have it. a tracking collar he would run deer till the day he died just about but he would run them maybe 75 yards but he when he was young and just starting out if he ran one he was smart enough to fall treat on the way back to me because i'd already had me a good green limb cut and by the time i'd walk in there i'd look up there and there'd be a squirrel sitting above his head so i obviously had enough sense not to whoop him while he was treating under a squirrel for one of the deer on the way to the squirrel
0: yeah <laughs> yes yeah, sir so all right You started, I guess, how long did you hunt bow in competition? Let's go that route.
1: Uh, There was probably the NKC State Championship um, down in Wiggins, Mississippi, South Mississippi. And he was one of three dogs that morning and afternoon that scored 1,000 points. I think he finished like third or something like that. And I put him in a couple more. Went back to that same Mississippi Squirrel Hunters Association hunt the next year, second year with him, and come in second. almost won the whole thing with him, and I think I put him in some of uh, Jackie Strayhand, who's deceased now, um, down in uh, Pearl River County, down in Crossroads, Mississippi. He had hunts um, with regularity, NKC hunts, and I think I put him in one or two down there at Mr. Jackie's place.
0: So, so you hunted him a couple years?
1: Yeah, I hunted him probably... Um, you know, maybe two years total to two, maybe a little over two. And so at these hunts, I was noticing what I now know and didn't take me long to figure out, cause I ain't shy about asking questions was mountain curse. And so I saw some of them and I thought, boy, those are some good looking dogs. And so that was kind of got me to asking around and knowing that Bo was getting some age on him and having kind of wet my appetite about competition hunting. And also having heard by talking with people at the hunts that um, mountain curves could also uh, make good coon dogs, I thought, well, look, it's about time for me to retire this old horse and get me a new one to ride. And so that's when I got my first mountain cur in like 2001, two, somewhere around there. What was its name? It was a female from Larry Wagner. Um, Larry, at the time, used to live not too far across the river from where I live now. But uh, Larry had been food with squirrel dogs and was a part of that Mississippi Squirrel Hunters Association Club. Yes, sir. And I got a double granddaughter of Hall of Fame Jordan Creek tag from Larry. Nice. Larry had bought her as a puppy from James Mincer, who lived down in Woodville, Mississippi at the time. And he had... Uh, He had Rattler, kind of out of a tag by Bayou Whitney. And then there was a boy, up, a teacher, Alan Cook, K-O-C-H, up in Missouri, who had the female. And so Larry had gotten, Julie was her name, and uh, had gotten her from him and uh, sold me Julie. Julie never wound up being, you know, anything uh, super special by my standards today. But she was a nice, reliable dog brindle probably about uh 40 45 pounds
0: how she hunts?
1: uh not real deep um kind of had a uh she'd get kind of choked down like she was pulling on her collar sometimes and she had a bad habit where larry got frustrated with her was she would hunt at a decent clip hunt out far enough to find squirrels rare up on the tree and may let out a bark and then sit there looking it's almost like she'd been put i knew she hadn't but Almost like she'd been put in a starting pen mm-hmm. and allowed to tree feeder squirrels without anybody, you know, putting her back up and you know yeah. and, and doing right by her. I know now; I didn't know it at the time, but yeah. it took her a while to get over that wanting to turn loose of her mouth. But now, once she got over that, you know, she made a she made a a, a nice dog that you could go. I, I put her in some competition hunts, and she did fair. And she did also. Did halfway decent on coons as well. It was had a beautiful tree style, you know, put both feet on the tree, um, lay her head back where you could lay a platter on her across her legs and her throat, you know.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, just real typical Jordan Creek tag bred dog tree style. He was a very stylish old dog that I never hunted with him, but I seen plenty of pictures and talked to James and Danny Wilkinson and several other folks that hunted with the dog. So she was my first mountain current, I got her from Larry.
0: I got you. Before we get too far away from him, how did Bo hunt? He hunt close? He hunt deep?
1: Uh, Bo usually would hunt within probably 250, 300 yards. But, he got out of um, sight.
0: Did he yeah, hunt with he, eyes he, or nose? or?
1: Oh, no, 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 not with eyes. I never got the impression he hunted with his eyes. Um, biggest fault he had was, because, like again, I didn't know any better, so I didn't tie him back at the time. And he would pull vines and that got to be, that was my biggest frustration with him. I could tolerate the deer running. Cause like I said, nine times out of 10, he he'd fall tree on his way back to me, but pulling on vines.
0: Yeah. And them, then them timber before you get there.
1: Yeah. Right. And I walk in there and I know darn well, cause he, yeah, he wasn't no slick tree mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, the squirrel had been gone from there. I'd see it as I'm approaching the tree. Cause again, you know, most of them days I was hunting by myself, but he did, you know, if you dropped him in a spot. And he went out and made three loops and you didn't catch him. Then you were fixing to go on a long walk to the next block of woods. You probably should have picked him up and drove him to. (laughs) So he did have that trait about him.
0: I got you. Uh, So you've had your little female. How many years did you hunt her? A year, two years before she didn't? Or what happened to her?
1: Uh, She died here.
0: She died there.
1: Yeah, she died out here at the age of 13, something like that, 14.
0: So you're not much of a buyer and seller. You're more of a buyer and keeper.
1: Yeah. I mean, the only dog I've ever sold was Lonesome Dove. I sold her back to Keith Jones, who sold her to me Yes, sir. after I basically made her available to him because she was my stud feed puppy. When I bred uh, Todd Jackson, I bred Apache to uh, Taylor that first time.
0: You didn't get rid of your female. After you got to where you wasn't hunting her anymore, what made you move on to try something new?
1: Well, going to more hunts and seeing different dogs. So, what I also did not long after I got Julie, I bought JoJo, and JoJo was three quarter Jordan Creek tag. Mm -hmm. I liked enough of Julie to think, well, and by this time I I had gotten to know James Mincer because, you know, I'd read a set of papers and look in the yearbook. When I changed Julio to my name, I thought, well, okay, James Mincer would know a lot about this dog that I just bought from Larry. So James and I became friends. And of course, again, reading the pedigree, it was through James that I met Danny Wilkinson because Danny Wilkinson's you Whitney, you know, was, you know, was what some of these dogs went back to. So I started hanging out and hunting with James and Danny on a regular basis. And that kind of got me dialed into what I would loosely call heavy street junior and George bred dogs.
0: Yes, sir. Now, now, are you or are you not a fan of street?
1: I'm a fan of getting the right street. Okay. And, you know, I think if you talk to several folks who have kind of made it their business to know mountain curves and um, pedigrees within the mountain curves that, look, some of the best dogs, I will never own a dog that doesn't have a streak in it. I, now, don't,
0: I don't know that it's pretty hard to find a
1: dog that doesn't have it somewhere in there. Well, if you find one that's worth <laughs> feeding, there's a good chance it's in there. There are exceptions. Yes. I mean, there are good, there are good dogs of all strains and breeds and bloodlines in the, in the OMCBA. But you know, I, that's kind of where I started. And then I made it a, my business because I was new to tree dogs. I mm-hmm. didn't have a lifelong history and didn't run back in generations in my family. So when I got that first one, and I tracked down where it came from, dog wise and and, and owner wise. Then I started, you know, burning up phones and calling and going and hunting with and looking at the dogs because Tag was still alive back then. Bayou Whitney, I got, I did get to hunt with Bayou Whitney, who's one of the more decorated mountain cur females in the history of the breed, you know. And she was still living. Danny and I hunted her some over in the Delta. Um, I've owned three direct daughters of Streak. Well in my life.
0: Now now you said you looked into to Streak and what was the female
1: Streak Jr. in Georgia. Now, that's over?
0: Thunder's bloodline, ain't it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Okay. That's thun- So the, the ones that you'll run across, Cody, are Thunder, Jordan Creek Tag, both of whom are in the Hall of Fame. Then you'll also hear dolls called um Yankee or Rocky Ridge Yankee that Jerry Vincent up Missouri owned. Sour's Sport. Was one of them that was fairly well known, um, Buckshot Willie. I've had mm-hmm. several dogs out of Buckshot Willie that Danny owned for a period of time,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, and there are others. There's a famous picture if you ever make it to uh, the club out the main clubhouse up there at Jamestown. Um, they had them all together at some hunt. I want to say El back when it was a big hunt, mm-hmm. and they had all them males out of that famous cross. You know, they weren't all we're not litter mates, of course, because they made yeah. the cross several times but they had them all spread out out there in a nice photograph that's up on the wall up there. So you get to see a lot of influential dogs in that photograph.
0: Sounds like a heck of a cross.
1: Yeah. You know, and so street junior, as name would imply, you know, he was direct out of street.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the reason I asked was you, you, the internet, you can't tell who and who isn't there's, you know, there's always a controversy with a street dog. I hunt a street dog. Most people I know hunt a streak dog, even if they don't like it. But, you know, for what it's worth, that dog has done a lot for the mountain curb breed.
1: Oh, no, no. Anybody that tells you otherwise is either lying to themselves, lying to you, or both. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's, there are certain things that they're really not. Now, you don't have to like them. I get that. I mean, it's, we wouldn't all choose the same kind of truck to drive or, or woman to marry. Yes, sir. But, Look, I live and you don't live too awful far from here, so you understand this also. I live in a very game rich environment. Mm-hmm. I don't have to, I want a dog that's quick, snappy, and gamey and a little bit, I guess as the expression goes hotter nosed because the one of the worst things you can do is be a dog that I hunt with. And if you had one like this and you and I were hunting, I'd probably hurt your feelings or you'd want to shoot your one. If I'm sitting out there looking at your dog running the law, working the track, there are exceptions. There are bad days in bad areas. But generally speaking, man, that dog is wasting my time, your time, and everybody's, its time, because if it moved on another 150 yards, it'd find something good and hot to tree that we could shoot or score, as the case may be. And so I got no use
0: sits on his head as they call it
1: yeah sitting sitting on his nose yeah just standing on his head walk running out through the woods day or night yeah so that was one thing that i noticed they were smaller snappier athletic dogs but as we'll probably get into in a little bit i wanted some balance to the dog i wanted a little bit more grit i wanted some more tree power and so as Danny Wilkinson, I think, coined the expression the first time I ever heard it. We used to say down here, and still do. The streak and make them go, but that dust bob make them stay.
0: <laughs> I love it. All right, so you started looking into Smith Smith Streak Junior. and Georgetta crosses, right? So right. that's just you. You saw some dogs out of that line that you really liked, and that's what you want to start focusing on.
1: Yeah, and that's what I've got to a large point. I've I've never deviated away from that it was just the mix of mixing in the dust bob Pine Knot tiger paws that that was the final part that kind of turned my crank so to speak
0: i got you so i assume it was apache next or did another dog fall in there before apache
1: no actually i was very fortunate cody in that um brentwood it was then living up in Arkansas. He had bought a dog called Streaks Mandy from Carl as a young started dog. Paid mm-hmm. what was back then a good sum of money for the dog. And he had her for several years. And she was, she looked just like Streak. um, Small, thicker built, you know, yellowish red, white trim. Mm-hmm. Brent kept her for most of her, you know, uh, prime. And then um, wind up... Uh, I think he sold her for a very reasonable sum to James Mincer. Well, again, James and I were hunting on a real regular basis back then. And James was running out of kennel space down there. And so he asked me if I would be interested in having her because although Brent didn't hunt her real often on coons, he had hunted her some. And I was kind of then looking for something to do Monday through Friday before I would squirrel hunt on the weekends. And although Julie and Jojo were, you know, I have fun. and My son would have fun going with me at night. They mm-hmm. were not coon dogs. Yeah, And I got this little old dog and she was about eight or nine. Then when I got her and uh, went down there to James's place and she liked to hunt us to death on, Three legs, because you cut her foot somehow. James had picked her up in Queen City, Texas, at an NKC state hunt over there, brought her back, and I picked her up the next weekend. And Streets Mandy taught me what a Curcoon dog could be. I just thought I was kind of playing around at Coon hunting with Julie and Jojo. Mandy was the real deal. She'd have them. And wasn't at about thirty two pounds once I got her back in shape. Dang. Not big as a. Name. That was that was Mindy's mama. I got you. And so I then I thought, man, look at here. I said, no, this is a whole different world. Because again, I didn't grow up coon hunting. I had been a time or two when I was in college, go home. My dad had a partner in his business that had hounds over in uh, um, around Scottsboro, Alabama. But um, and she was a nice ward dog. And mm-hmm. so I, I took her the first time I ever placed in a hunt. I had taken Julie and Jojo up to Jamestown. But the first time I ever placed in a hunt, I placed Mandy in the top. She placed third and fourth consecutive years at the age of like nine and ten up there. She's old enough to be these these dog's great grandma.
0: So that's pretty good for a for an old female.
1: Oh yeah, like I said, you know she didn't have a you know she didn't have a great you know mouth with her, and she you never saw the dog run, Cody. Kim mm-hmm. Cope come over from North Carolina years ago, and uh, we went down to my old hunting club. Uh, on the Pearl River, um, south of Jackson. And, uh, you know, you cut her loose out there in the woods, there's old backwater uh, cypress swamps off the Pearl River down there at her camp. And uh, you cut her loose and she'd leave out, you know, a kind of a trot. Next thing you know, that heifer tree in there at 300 yards, <laughs> like that, you know, just sound just like a little street dog. Yeah. You walk in there and there'd be a coon up there, partner, or a whole one. <laughs> you'd shoot her, you you knock it out to her. And then tell her, all right, man, to get ahead. And she just kind of like leave off the same direction that she was headed when she come to that tree. Just that little old trot. Next thing you know, that thing may be 750 yards back behind your tree.
3: Hey. In just
1: hey. a couple minutes. I'm thinking, did something pick her up and drop her <laughs> off in there? Because she, you know, I, I guess when she got out of sight, she caught another gear or something. It was the darnest thing I'd ever seen to this day. I never had a dog that would get out. And and you wouldn't know because she's stone cold silent now. You, you know, she didn't make a sound until she was treated day or night. So that was my got got me hooked on coon hunting.
0: Now, at that point, was you coon hunting more than squirrel hunting?
1: Not at that point. At that point, it was probably still you know, probably two thirds squirrel hunting, one third coon hunting. But it didn't take long till it got to probably at least 50-50, if not a little bit more, I coon you. hunting. I
0: so did you enjoy coon hunting more than you enjoyed squirrel hunting? Or is that just kind of your dog suited to coon hunting more?
1: I'll put it to you this way. The same thing I've told others in the past. Um, it's a good, back in those days when I hunted, you know, regularly both day and night competition and pleasure hunting. If the good Lord had come to me, Cody, and said, Hey boy, look, starting tomorrow, you can do one or the other, but you cannot do both. I need an answer right now, which is it? I would have told him hunting. To hunt hey. because when I moved out here to where I live now, I have the management area across the trace from me, which I can be there in about 15 minutes, turn the dog loose. I had a hunting, a private hunting, lease that I was in in the opposite direction up the trace about eight mile markers. And then I still to this day, Kenny Latham is a former game board that lives in Ludlow, Mississippi, across the river. If they build me a bridge over there, I could be to Kenny's in about 15 minutes, but I gotta go the long way around either either way I got to get on 25 Highway. And but he had a lot of family land and I didn't kill squirrels, but that's where I would train dogs up. For competition you know, hunts, because Kenny let me have run of it. I didn't kill his squirrels, but now Kenny's a big turkey hunter. And he want me to kill every coon in sight over there.
0: Yeah, I got you.
1: So I had three places, plus I'd started hunting in the Delta before we even moved out here. So between those areas, man, I was in 2010. I think I killed 200 coons that season.
0: Wow, that's
1: with 2020 tank and uh Apache too. yeah hey. now.
0: Before we move on, I assume we're finna get to Apache. While we're talking about coon hunting, have you always hunted cur dogs, or have you? did you ever venture out to walker dogs?
1: I have never owned a hound. I uh, enjoy hunting with them, um, and have, you know, hunted my cur dogs with them, especially little old Mindy. I used to get a kick out of that, because they couldn't figure out what happened. At the end of the night with her, came about twenty five pounds. They never could tell them what what that was all about and why why it turned out the way it did. But you know, I enjoy it to this day. Um, going, it's not my personal preference. Otherwise, I own a full kennel of them up there. Yeah. But you know, I don't I don't have any uh, problems with that. I just never felt compelled to own one. You just think
0: you started with the the squirrel dogs and they ended up getting you in the coon hunting and you just hunted the breeds you already had.
1: Well, and the thing about it is, is people that don't know anything about tree dogs, the explanation I often give them, Cody, is that, look, theoretically, you can take a good cur dog and you can hunt 24 hours a day tree and squirrels and coons. Now, are there hounds you can do that with? Sure. Are there fights you can do that with? Sure. But on average, in, in my 30 plus years of experience, if you want to do both and you don't have to have the best of either, then a Cur dog, a Mountain is a pretty versatile dog, and if, oh, by the way, if you get your yaya's out by going to competition, on us, like I enjoyed for 15 plus years mm-hmm. regularly, then it was kind of a, it's kind of like a Swiss Army knife, man. It was something you could do, I could coon hunt during the weeknights, I could squirrel and coon hunt on the weekends, and when the season was over, especially when the season was over, I could load up and go to Jamestown or, you know, or anywhere else and go, to a competition. I'd it was literally my only hobby. I don't golf. I don't fish to amount to nothing. It was, it was basically my only hobby. If I wasn't working or doing family related things, I was in the woods with a dog.
0: I've had, which this is all opinion based. So don't, don't come at us with stakes and pitchforks, but I've had a lot of people tell me that they feel like curves are more accurate. You know, they, if it wasn't for them, not opening good, for strike points that they
1: probably hunt a cur, but you know, well, you know, and again, because I didn't grow up with uh scent hounds, whether hunting beagles for rabbit or hounds for coon, you know, the whole, well, there's some old men that got a cabin, two cabins north of mine over in the Delta and out, they, they pestered me for a while. They red bone fellows. And I thought, well, if nothing else, I need to go with them just so I can say I've seen a red bone tree of coon. Um, but I t- they wanted to go to dogs one night and I told them, I said, look here, fellas, I said, if you want to hear a good race, you will not enjoy yourself tonight <laughs> because I do not now Buster, you know, will open up and I've had some that were kind of semi open, but I said, my, that's not my preference. I said, I know what in a perfect world for Mark Morrison, I, the dog would not make a peep until it fell treed day or night. That's just my preference because again. I didn't come from a long family tradition or upbringing to where that was a thing to sit on the tailgate with grandpa or uncle Bob or whatever and say, "Oh, that's so blue in there. He's done struck a track or oh, he's heating it up now. He's about to you know, that that just wasn't the way I was raised." So, and the dogs I had early on that introduced me to mountain Curse, they were pretty much stone cold silent. To me, there's nothing more enjoyable than me one of these dogs going out by ourselves not right long after the sun goes down on a cool cold winter night cutting them loose and then all of a sudden hopefully sooner than later because i got to get them go to work next day hearing this out of the clear blue night ow, 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 you know you yeah. know sitting under the tree man that will get me stepping so fast i pull a <laughs> pull a muscle you know?
0: <laughs> what them old men think that did
1: you ever take them with them curs Oh, yeah. Yeah, I took them. And, and like I said, uh, the first year I had that captain over there, Mel Malone, a fellow from Vicksburg, had a very, very nice grand night, uh, black and tan coonhound. You know, very nice dog. And, uh, you know, they just, every time I took them with hounds, either here locally, over there, wherever, you would get, you know, where's your dog? Where's your dog? I'm thinking, you know, about the third time they asked me, I'm thinking, well, hell, is he or she standing over there next to you and I can't see him? I said, I reckon they're out hunting. And then their dogs would strike and run the track, and they singing. they'd be over there bumping one another with the elbows. Oh, you old so-and-so's fitting the tree. He's fitting the tree there. Hey, Marston, where's your dog? Where's your dog? Well, when, especially Mindy was notorious about this, when Mindy would beat them out to the tree, they couldn't tolerate that. So there had to be an explanation as to how that happened. Other than the fact that she was <laughs> running with her head up, trying to catch the coon Oh, yeah. as opposed to, yeah. and so then it would go, the conversation would go, well, ah, that little old dog, she just followed ours in there and just, you know, and she wouldn't have found that coon if, if our dogs hadn't opened up, I'm thinking you tell yourself whatever you do to sleep good at <laughs> night. I said, but that's not what happened. Of course, then we got garments.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is
1: back in the, the radio telemetry, you know, beep-beep days, mm-hmm. like all of them. Then we got Garmin's and going back to that black and tan, the Mel Malone. Hell, we went up to the bridge up above my cabin within walking distance and cut this 100 plus pound head. His head was big, Cody, as Mindy was. Cut him loose. <laughs> he goes down in the ditch and just like he's supposed to do, man, he struck a trap. And he worked it all the way down through there. And you could tell, I mean, I don't know much about hounds, house, but I know when one's warming up the track, he's he gaining on the coon. And he started that stuff too. Where's Mindy? Where's Mindy? I said, well, she went the opposite direction. I said, that she's coming back now. So I showed him the, the alpha screen. Yeah. And then and I knew what was fixing to happen because Mindy was like somebody hit her with a hot shot in the rear end. She was little, but she could move through the woods. And she comes down that, that creek ditch. And I'm looking at the Garmin, and he's listening to his dogs, so and he doesn't know exactly what I know. Yeah. And and just in a minute, you, 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 off in the distance, about four or 500 yards in there. He said, what's that? I said, what do you mean, what's that? I said, that's my dog. <laughs> he said, what's she doing? She said, oh, she's deeper in there than old Dan. I said, Mel, she's treed. He said, oh, hell. He said, well, where's Dan? So I then I showed it to him. I said, he'll be in there just a minute. I said, come on. So we walked in there, and sure enough, (laughs) Dan was in there. You couldn't hear many by then because Dan had a big old booming, you know, mouth. mouth, And so after we knocked the coon out, I told him, I said, Mel, I said, you know, if I tried to, I couldn't describe better the difference between a good cur coon dog and a quality coon hound. I said, ain't a thing in the world wrong with your dog. I said, if I was in the house, I said, I'd love to have one like him. I said, he did it like a champ. And there ain't no doubt in my mind that he would have put a tree to that coon, before, you know, had Mindy not even been in the woods, you know, been at yeah. the camp.
0: He'd ended up there. He just.
1: Oh, yeah, because he was working it beautifully. And I showed him the garment, showing the whole track kind of zoomed out. And I said, now, here's the difference. I said, you see your your dog's track? I said, he come up out of the creek bed a little bit, and that coon's trying his best to kind of leave him. I said, now, you see Mindy's? Minnie's a series of straight lines with little tangents. You know, she'd go back to the right or go back to the left. I said, and one time she overran it and had a double back on herself. I said, she's running with her head up about level with her, you know, her tail. And I said, she's trying to, she's cutting all the zigs and zags out of that track because she's not running the track. She's running the, the critter. Yeah. And I said, that's when you have a, a good curcoon dog, And you don't, you're not hung up on listening to them, strike a track, you know, warm it up, change over at the tree and then set in. If that's not, if that's not part of the essential experience for you coon hunting, if you want to go look at coons, I said something like this, this little thing right here, cause see, as little as she was, Cody, coon didn't know what she was coming through the woods. (laughs) She could have been a jackrabbit.
0: She could have been another coon coming through there. Yes.
1: Yes, and she was mean as a little old, I mean, sweet dog, but mean as a rattlesnake. The only time she'd ever open up is if she was just about pulling hair on that coon's tail. Wow. And I can promise you this, because she was a chip off the old block, because her mama, Mandy, that I was telling you about, the older female, you know, Mandy wasn't, one, wasn't a mauler. You didn't hardly make a sound, but if that coon fell back in them days, I didn't have enough smarts to tie the dog's back out from under the canopy. So I just shoot her out to old Mandy, Mindy's mama. And, uh, man, she catch them on the bounce when they hit the ground and it didn't matter. She, she, <laughs> she clamp them down that was on the throat. and it wasn't any thrashing. It wasn't a whole lot of drama. She would just kind of like, you've seen like a, I don't know, a cheetah or a, or a leopard or Jaguar or something. Grab one of these gazelles by the throat. They just hold it there until it suffocates. Yeah. Well, that's what she would do. Well, now Minnie was a little bit more crazy because her daddy was crazy she would get in there and thrash and all that but she was still bad news so the coon didn't have especially during our rut from say mid mid early january through the end of the season over in the delta squirrels is hard to come by because there's so many den trees and the sows are bred and they've been listening to folks shooting and treating them for months yeah but the coons get stirring real good and so some people, including people I count amongst my friends, will tell you otherwise because people tend to defend what they own. But you know, I I stand by the fact that since I hunted tight mouth dogs, especially the likes of Mindy, you know, those boar coons are traveling long, long distances to breed new females. But you turn something like Mindy loose that ain't making a peep, and that coon's got two choices. He can stand and fight, which is not a good idea for the reasons I just explained, or he can get his butt up the closest big tree. Yeah, they, not, they don't
0: know she's which, coming. Where if they hear right. a hound open up, they they try to get away.
1: Who may not be the smartest of guys' creatures, Cody, but he knows when he hears that hound out there in the woods. That's not the neighbor, the friendly neighborhood welcoming <laughs> committee.
0: I tell you what, I I might argue that. I've seen them sap suckers help each other up on a corn feeder for deer to spin the spinner off like around them varmint guards and stuff. I've seen I've, oh, I've yeah. seen pictures of them. Stanks, well, like two or said, three days.
1: They know. They know that, that they hear that hound coming through the woods. They know that even a squirrel. Me and Garner had that conversation since he's all excited about his puppies getting. I said, Look, Jeremy, I said, You know, these kind of dogs ain't for everybody. I said, And all that slobbering and triing and bouncing down at the bottom of the tree and cutting a fool like they're going to turn inside out and have a heart attack. I said, You probably see less critters. I said, Because squirrels are not the brightest animals on the earth. I said, but they can look down there at the base of the tree and see something like a patchy or a dove or something like that tree, and thinking, "Hmm, that thing does not have my best interest at heart." I better get on out of here.
0: And it's public land that gets hunted to death. And once you they hear a dog, the rest of them, for the most part, are headed to the headed to the dens.
1: Yeah, well, especially once they're bred. I mean, like I said, we got so many hollow trees over there that I'm, you know, the sows probably come down get a little something to eat, get a little water. And as soon as that first gun goes off and the dogs get out there treeing off in the distance, they know it's time to go back up and get that old. Yep. If they're going to reproduce and raise a litter of you know squirrels. All right. So I assume we're
0: getting pretty close to Apache. Just to sum up the story, you got into squirrel hunting in college, got a pup, turned out to be a pretty nice pup. I ended up getting, a dog got a tag, and then you started moving over into the streaks, georgettas, and where are we where are we from here?
1: Well, actually, that Mandy Jip, Minnie's mama, that we were talking about, so she had a little age on her, and I wound up she had I had bred her twice to to uh, Lucky Hank. Lucky Hank was direct out of Streaks Mountain Jackson and um, Ohio Bobby. Ohio Bobby was out of Dust Bob and Pine Nut Tiger Paws. So again, I had hunted with Bobby, she was a much older female. And I hunted with Hank when Danny owned him and I bred Mandy to Hank twice. So Danny kept the runt of the first litter and she was a prodigy. I hunted with Mindy in a deer pen down in South Mississippi when she was like eight months old, something like that running with, in the same woods, the same hunt with Red River Posse, the 03 OMCBA World Squirrel Champion, Jojo, who was a nice little squirrel dog. And anyway, long story short is I told Danny walking back to the truck, I said, hey, I call him DW. I said, DW. I said, I'd love to have something out of old Mandy. I said, if you ever decide to get rid of that little old thing I hunted with today, I said, I'm a buyer. He yeah. said, "Well, she's probably not. Don't look like she's ever gonna make a big enough dog to suit me." I said, "Well, promise me you'll give me a first rider right refusal." So he called me a couple months later because this was late in the season. Reason why we're hunting in this old deer pen down there, anyway. And uh, he said, "Look," he said, "if you're interested, I'm ready to move me." I said, "Yes, sir." I said, "I wasn't pulling your leg." I said, "What you got to have for?" And turns out, I traded a. Browning, Belgian-made, vent-rib, Sweet 16 shotgun that Danny wanted to buy for his daddy. Mm -hmm. Well, regrettably, um, so I got that, made that trade, and regrettably, uh, Danny's daddy got real sick or passed away, and he actually wound up selling that same Sweet 16 to, uh, I can't remember whether it was Brian or Shannon Looney, but it was one of the Looney boys. They wound up with that gun. Yeah. And I think Danny sold it to them for around $1,200. So I always tell folks that uh, if you want to look at it that way, what Danny ultimately sold the gun for shortly after I traded it to him for Mindy, I said, you could say I paid $1,200 for Mindy. But to be honest with you, I wound up with the Sweet 16 because my law then law partner was too stupid to understand what he had. And I traded him <laughs> a used youth, youth model, Eight seventy express twenty gauge that he had to have for one of his boys to go youth duck hunting one weekend. (laughs) So I actually had two hundred fifty dollars in the gun.
0: (laughs) Oh lord, you doing him a favor, didn't you?
1: (laughs) So that was the best two hundred fifty dollars I ever
0: spent. (laughs) Oh, so so you got Mandy?
1: No, so I had
0: Mindy, Mindy, Mindy now. I still
1: had old Mandy, Mm -hmm. and Mindy was. I used to tell people she's kind of like my, my uh, Honda with a Hemi stuffed under the hood. She was little, but she had lots of gas. And it didn't take and it didn't take me long hunting her when I got her back home up here after trading that shotgun to Danny to figure out that, hmm, I got to get a handle on this thing because I tried bumping her. By this time, I had a, a Tritronics. I tried nicking her to try mm-hmm. to get it because she had a little bit of, you know, she's still unsettled and she got in there deep. You know, she might be gone before you got there. And so that didn't work, because if you nick Mindy, that was like her sign to go get another three miles away from me. And so um, I had a buddy of mine that, uh, although he wasn't into squirrel dogs heavily at the time, he uh, trained people's labs, Labradors, for field trialing. And so he was he was a Tritronics dealer, and he really knew how to put a handle on a dog to make them do all kinds of things, not the least of which, in her case, was to come when you toned her nicked her, or whatever. And so he put a handle on her for me to where she was, uh, tolerable because about this time, Cody, I'm going to these hunts and I'm going up to Jamestown. And in the early two thousands, man, you stand a better chance of seeing a pink elephant out in the woods than you would more than a squirrel or two on, on the cast. I mean, it was, they were in a down cycle with their, uh, acre and crop and all that, and it's slim picking. So you had to have a dog get on in there. Yeah. So I thought I had to have me one of them go yonder dogs. Well, I wound up with one in about a 25-pound package. (laughs) And so um, she would hunt your guts out. Um, And so not long after I got her is when I get a call from Adam Loud because Adam is about ready to go off to college um, from West Virginia to Indiana, I believe it was. And just out of the blue, because I had kept up with Apache because back on them days we were all getting on Squirrel Dog Central was the message board. And mm-hmm. Adam was, was a teenager, you know, high school kid. And I would see um, back in them days, <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't so much video because we didn't really know how to really embed videos in our message board posts, but it was a lot of photographs. And there was a little bit of buzz around this dog. And I thought, man, look at that dog. I said, he's a good looking Sama gun. And I actually had got them to ship me some semen down to try to breed to that first mountain curve, Julia mine, but it didn't, it didn't work out. And I had seen him up there cause I would always get up on Thursday evenings to Jamestown on, on a given hunt weekend, because get in town after an eight or nine hour drive and then Friday, whatever I was planning on hunting, we go make a little trial run, get up with somebody, you know, from somewhere else and hope the dogs did something stupid where you could get up in their butts about it, correct them before you drew out on Saturday.
0: Yeah. And back
1: in those days also we had kunas cool on Friday night um, sometimes. For a combo. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I got a chance to actually go with the Apache one time when Adam uh, brought him down there one June. I can't, I don't want to say it was like 03 or 04 I saw him in person. I thought, wow, look at that. And I had previously hunted with Cars, Hall of Fame Cars Creek Cause when Jimmy Crocker owned him. And I was hunting Mandy on a, on a regular basis. And Cars Creek Cause was the first mountain curve that I saw that treated like his tail was on fire and, you know, like, and his butt was catching. I mean, he he come up on that tree, and uh, you know, again, I didn't have a whole lot of experience with Walker dogs and what have you, but you know, a lot yeah. of a lot of Walker dogs didn't have nothing on Cars Creek Cause. He was a tree dog, big old Brendel block headed dog, probably you know fifty five pounds, you know, pretty good size Mountain Cur, and man, I saw that over in Delta one day, and I thought, good God, look at that. Because I never hunted with a dog to treat like that before. Yeah. And so I kind of filed that away in my mind. thought, you know, I'd like to have something like that. Well, then I got to see Apache not long after that on that, you know, that just Friday, you know, let the dogs go exercise in the woods. And I thought, oh, huh. I said, well, there's another one. Different tree style. But that's some gun trees like he's about to have an aneurysm, you know.
0: I never got to see Apache go. He treed hard, hard, huh?
1: Uh, oh, yeah. Like bouncing on his front feet, which caught up with him, you know, when he was 14 you know, 15 years old, he couldn't hardly walk because he tore up the tendons, I guess, in his front. well wow. what would be ankles or wrists or whatever yeah. you want to call. It. And so, fast forward to um '05, and Adam calls me. Kind of, you know, we had communicated, you know, by messaging and posts and all that on on the message board. And I think I had talked to him a time or two, especially when I was trying to get that semen sent down here. And he just calls me. He says, "Hey, Mark," he said. uh yeah, if we got through the, hey, how you been, what you been up to kind of stuff, he said, look, he said, I'm fixing to go to college. And he said, I don't, and I, I'm not going to be able to do justice by this dog. I know you've always kind of liked him or thought highly of him. I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, well, he said, um, if you'd be interested in buying him, I would be happy to sell him to you. I thought, well, wow, okay. I didn't know that's where this conversation was going. I said, well, the... The the question is how much you want for him, and he shot me a price, and I like fell off the couch. <laughs> and I said, "Well, I said, look, I said I ain't gonna, try, I ain't trying to insult you, Adam. I said, um, you know, I'm sure the dog is worth that. I said, but that's gonna be a hard sell here at the house. I said, but I tell you what, fair enough. Let me uh, let me have a long talk with my better half, and, and maybe make a few phone calls. And I said, I'll get back with you hopefully uh, before the week's up. He said, Well, man, I appreciate it. Thank you. So I. Uh, Long story short, is my wife. I had a long conversation with my wife. She knew that I was, this was an addiction that wasn't going away anytime soon because by this time, everybody's still living now. You got to remember, we lived in town, and I had a backyard without kennels. I had Bo, I had Julie, I had Jojo, I had Mandy, and Mindy was actually down at James's because James was kind of hunting her and, and trying to get her a little tighter on the tree. And I'm talking about buying what? I don't mind telling you, back in there, in '05, was a pretty good chunk of money, and I went in halves with Doc Mosley, who owned Red River Posse, the '03 World Squirrel Champion. He's a cardiologist in Shreveport, Louisiana, and mm-hmm. so Doc and I went fifty-fifty to buy Apache for eight thousand dollars from Adam. He wow. can, he agreed he agreed on that price, and so. And the deal was that James was going to kind of be an equal one third owner. He would handle and hunt and take care of all the breeding of the dog.
0: Now, and so I, I, can... I assume that's eight thousand combined.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, four four a piece. Yeah, you know, we went in. Okay, on the money.
0: Yeah. You so know, nowadays, have... how much money, the amount of money that changes hands on these dogs? I wouldn't be surprised if it was sixteen. So. <laughs> Well, I ain't
1: never paid that much. I've never paid that much, but I have. uh,
0: These animals bring a pretty penny nowadays.
1: That was a good sum of money, you know, back in 05. He was, so I bought it. We got him in March of 05. Alan Franklin actually had him at his house just before the March hunt because he was actually making the cross that produced 2020 tank. Hummer's daddy.
0: Wow. So he actually, Alan bred him before you bought him.
1: And brought him to me at Jamestown. Yeah. Wow. Alan actually just t- took him from, you know, out of the breeding pen at his house and met me at the March hunt. At, uh, me and James and Danny Wilson drove up together to the March hunt of 05. And uh, then James took him on back to his house when him and Danny jumped in their truck at mine after we got back to town. And they went on the rest of the way down to uh, Woodville and ultimately to Denham Springs for Danny. But uh,
0: yeah, that's a lot of money back in for a squirrel, though.
1: Yeah, and my law partners and all that, you know, kind of thought I was crazy. Now, you know, I did always have from Apache on up until I discontinued it on uh, Buster and uh, 2020 Daisy. But he you know, always said so the same guy that was the trainer of labs for field trials that kind of put the handle on Mindy. He had gotten this kind of like, I guess, the equivalent for Labradors of full Cry. He, uh, he knew I'd gotten the dog and he said, Hey, he said, this is something you might not look into. And it was a little, uh, advertisement in that Labrador periodical that basically, uh, advertised the mortality insurance, death insurance for dogs. And it was Hartford was a company and it was the, the, uh, agency was up in Lansing, Michigan. So hell, I got to work next day and called up there and said, Hey, I got this, uh, squirrel dog. I paid a lot of money for and keep my marriage and partnership with doc Mosley and all that good. And while James has got the dog down there to make sure he feels comfortable turning $8,000 squirrel dog loose. Um, can I get some insurance? And the answer was yes. You know, I just had to fill out the thing and tell him his titles were and this, this, that, and the other. But so, yeah, I, I kept, uh, right. and I kept life insurance on from Apache all the way up to Buster and Daisy for gosh, 15 or more years.
0: I got a question for you and you're probably not going to know it, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Do you know how much life insurance cost on the old back in?
1: Yeah. And it was unbelievably cheap because for example, to put, you know, the first year, I think I only could put on him what I paid for it. And of course I paid Adam in a certified check. So I had a copy of the darn checks so I could send to him. Then after dickering with him, I said, look, I don't pay, um, you know, market value for nothing. Trucks, anything i said so the dog was worth more than that <laughs> and by the end i'd started hunting him and campaigning and what have you and so i think they went up to like 10 or 12 on him the next year and to get 10 or twelve thousand dollars, you had a minimum premium of 300 dollars a year and to put it in perspective man that was a price i was selling a single pup out of him or getting for a stud fee back in 05. oh yeah so it just didn't make any sense not to have insurance on the dog
0: I, I agree. Me and I think me and Kent Johnson was talking about that back at the world hunt. I don't know any, I guess you, somebody will know it. If y'all know it, shoot us a message on our Facebook page who does dog insurance nowadays, but, I don't, and that well, I give, I've don't.
1: i given out that number. People used to think I was getting free insurance or a commission or whatever, and I probably <laughs> should have. But I, somebody hit me up on Facebook the other day and said, Hey, didn't you, you know, didn't, haven't you had insurance on your dogs? I said, yeah, I don't at the present time. He said, well, where can I get some? And I, I just Googled up more Foster hyphen Foster at Lansing, Michigan. And I gave them, it's called kennel pro is the product from Hartford insurance company. And, uh, Look, man, I, I can't I can't tell you how many people over the last 15 years, once it kind of got to be known, talk about it on Squirrel Doll Central, Squirrel Haters and Hunts and all that. Man, I probably sent them folks, ain't no telling how many. Um, thankfully, I never had to collect on any of it. But <laughs> What's the, the name of them? that company? Okay, the agency is M-O-U-R-E-R hyphen Foster, F-O-S-T-E-R. So if you, you look up Moore Foster Insurance Agency in Lansing, L-A-N-S-I-N-G, Michigan, if you look on, just type it in your Google browser, pop, it'll pop right up, and there's a link I think used to be on the front page of it said Kennel Pro. And,
0: and if anybody hey, from Moore Foster is listening to this, hit my buddy up, Mark Morrison. He needs a sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> well, He's sending y'all thousands used, of dollars I a year
1: joke with them you know when they shoot me a message or send me a notification in the in the, in the uh, mail that you know hey your your policy's coming up for renewal do you need to change or you know because i was you know i would have new dogs to add or maybe take it off one that i wasn't taking to town or hunting on a regular basis because they gotten too old or and that's the thing about it so finally it towards the end i finally told them i said look y'all understand that like Apache, I think I kept his insurance current through like he was 12 or 13 years old. I said, look, I don't feel right about it. I said, if that's some gun that gets out of and gets run over. I said, y'all going to pay me 12, 15, whatever is, is maximum insurance I gotten it up to. I said, y'all going to pay me a way lot more money than that old plug's worth at this point from a fair market value standpoint. I said, now he's worth a lot to us, sentimental wise, but. So I, he said, well, you know, that's just the way it works. So I said, well, look, take him off there. And I said, let's add, I think we added Buster and Apache 2 or somebody. Anyway. That's funny. Well, if y'all are listening,
0: Mark Morrison needs a sponsorship. And if you want to sponsor a podcast, hit us up on the Hunt Dog Public. <laughs> <laughs> so so you had insurance on him, gave eight grand yeah. for him. All right. So, So let's hear the Apache story.
1: Well, like I said, I, he was down there at James's house and uh, for reasons it were James's, he just, uh, so I get him in March of 05 and I realized realistically that taking him to the June hunt was probably a little early because I always, you know, smart folks just don't take a dog and turn around and go put it in a hunt. The dog kind of needs to know you and get yeah. settled in, what have you, but then didn't want to put him in the September hunt for reasons that were all all his own. And so I finally told him, I said, look, bring me my dog. Meet me in Brookhaven, I think is where we met him, McComb, somewhere or another. And I said, here, take Mindy down there and hunt her up. I said, she needs a little tuning up. I said, let me take. So I took him to the New Albany OMCBA hunt in November, first hunt I put him in. And I think got second and second in the squirrel and coon hunt. And then took him to the world hunt of 05 and won the world bench show with him after Donnie Clark and Alan Franklin. Everybody told me his toes is too long. There ain't no way he's going to win that. He <laughs> proved them Hell, wrong. Well, the other thing was, so I was hanging out with Eric Wally then. he had a, a pure country scout back in the day. Wanted to being a dog of the year grand squad. Very nice dog. Same, same cross out of a uh, cause and the uh, uh Dixie as a, uh, Dagger, world champion Dagger. Uh-huh. And uh, even uh, Eric Wiley told me he'd come up there and stay with in the camper. He said, ah, oh, Marson, he said, don't put that dog in that bench show. He said, that's a hunting dog. He said, you got him hunted down. His hips look like rifle sights, yada, yada, yada. He ain't going to win. He get Man, Eric, you going on the bed. I came in and I like, I like to threw that four-poster trophy on him when I got in the, in the camper up there. I <laughs> said, hey, what'd you What'd you say about my dog looking all kind of hunted down and poor? But uh, anyway, I screwed up and uh, wound up losing a cast of big time. Mountain Jacks is big time uh, by 25 circle points because of not anything my dog did or did not do. Correct. It was just I used to overthink things, Cody, when I would hunt that dog because, you know, people knew that i paid a good sum of money with him. He had he was known in the. Squirrel dog community, particularly on the internet, because Adam being especially proud of him. I mean, like I said, the dog was a known quantity when I bought him. um And I don't take any credit for what he was or was not as a squirrel dog. That yep. all goes to Adam. Now, they'd only coon honey about four or five times because he had just before I got him right before his fourth birthday. I was finna ask that. I want to know got how old him he got in was. March got him in march and if i remember correctly his birthday was like mid-may so he was just a hair under four years old when i got him and um anyway took him up there to jamestown and like i said just you know did a did a poor job of handling matter of fact the third guy on the cast told me he said look he said you either the nicest guy i've ever met in this in this pastime or this sport are you the dumbest he said man you gave that cast away i said well i said our uh our winner of the cast over, he knows that too. I said, and I should have done a few things differently in hindsight, but you know, it is what it is. So big time went on to win the O five five world squirrel didn't even come close, you know, to having that tough a challenge. Like I said, I literally lost by 25 circle points, hey. but uh, so anyway, um, there was a brief time where, you know, the dog stayed with me. Um, Shane Stevenson from Canton, Georgia, who, you know, would buy and sell interest and or dogs and was, you know, kind of, he was coming to uh, Jamestown pretty regular in other hunts. He wanted to buy half interest in him. So I talked to Doc said, hey, you know, if, you know, Doc had hardly been with the dog at all since we purchased him. And uh, Shane bought out Doc Mosley's half interest. That lasted for about a year. My wife, to her credit, finally told me, says, hey, that's our dog make him our dog go get him so Shane was good enough to meet me at the same exit where I bought my first squirrel dog at the Tannehill State Park exit at Bucksville and Abernant right there at the Jefferson Tuscaloosa County line and I met Shane there gave him his money back and the dog was ours to the day he died from, so
0: nice got to end up owning all of it
1: and you know my wife went with the dog once or twice I think just for fun but uh that was the wonderful thing about it. his last years after he'd been retired and I quit hunting and all that, he he became really, he, he was my dog for most of the time we owned him, but them last few years, he was lock, stock and barrel, my wife's pet because hell, I couldn't even tell him to get his butt up and go outside. He'd look at me like, "Who who's you talking to? You don't own no you know?
0: <laughs> them animals, they take up with mama, don't they?
1: Well, he was a, he was a different animal too. I mean, second only in many respects to Bo, you know the first dog we talked about Apache was just a different animal man you can ask people brent wood um you know was one of the ones who kind of really picked up on that early on that at the 50th anniversary hunt where he won the squirrel hunt and the coon hunt and the bench show and you know uh combo award and all that i i was taking photographs back in those days because i was a column writer so after um I told Brent to take him outside by the flagpole out in front of the big clubhouse. And cause you know, people always used to joke. It used to really, especially when Adam was younger, used to hurt Adam's feelings. Cause Adam, you know, was very attached to the dog. He raised the yeah. dog from the puppy. And you know, that whole narrative that Apache was mean. Yeah. And you know, I could have, and I explained it to Adam and Chuck, his dad, you know, later on, you know, cause they, we'd had a conversation about, it. I said, look, I said, I'm not trying to offend y'all. I'll be forever grateful that you sold us the dog. I said, but, and I understand why it might offend you. I said, but here's my rationale. I said, I know that the dog's not mean. And here's the thing, because I take the dog to these competition hunts here, there, and yonder. And also would, you know, if, if you Cody back in the day had said, look, Let's go meet up somewhere and go hunt. I want to bring my dog. The only thing I tell you is I got two rules. As long as your dog getting ill, as long as your dog getting trashy. I said, man, you can bring a poodle out there and go hunt with me and Apache as far as yep. I care. And so my thinking was, is that I kind of played into that. Brent Wood was the one that even had that license plate made up. You can't beat him, eat him, you know, that you may have seen on it. <laughs> yeah,
0: I saw it the other day
1: it's hanging up in the, in my hunting cabin over there that I kind of played up that because here's the thing you and I draw out and you, one of these ones, the only thing you know about a patch is what you read on the internet. Then I'm already got the leg up on you. Cause you sitting around worried about whether your dog's going to get eaten up or what have you. I know damn well he's not as long as your dog doesn't jump on him. Yo. And so I never let people, I have people ask me, I remember a young kid up in Arkansas at the NKC hunt. We drive the two-dog cast. He had a uh, feisty guy from Gerald Johnson. And he asked me, I could tell something was troubling that boy all the way over to the I drove, and he was riding in the passenger seat, and he so had the two dogs in the box. We get out over there, we, and I could tell something was bothering him. Well, we get over there and get ready to, you know, let tailgate down, and put the collars on the dogs and start to cast. And he said, Mr. Mark, he said, I got something to ask you, but I don't sure don't want to offend you. I said, well, son, it looked like you have had something on your mind. He said, come on out with it. What is it? He said, well, you know how folks talk, and I know what's coming next. I said, well, yeah. I said, what is it? Come on, we got to get this gas started. (laughs) He said, is your dog me? And I looked at him, Cody, and I said, well, he's yours? He kind of looked at me kind of funny, kind of tipped his head like a dog will. He said, well, no. I said, well, then you ain't got a thing to worry about. I said, as long as your dog don't jump on mine, I said, everything will be slick as grease. And sure enough, you know, we like 99.9% of the cast I was ever on, you know, nothing ever happened. And, uh, you know, we had a great time and he got back and rode all the way back. And he just said, man, he said, I really enjoyed that. He said, that thing trees like something else, doesn't he? I said, yeah. And I said, that's the reason why a lot of people, you know, he sounded like he was mad at the world when he was treating,
3: Yeah.
1: And slobbering slobber now he walk in there especially if be treating there deep and it was warm outside and he have slobber all the way from his nose to his little old nubby tail
0: now, now how big a dog was apache
1: so when i got him we had him weighed because that was part of the deal too um james took him down to his vet in st francisville and had him weighed heartworm tested and all that kind of stuff and he weighed Right at 48 to 49 pounds, which is kind of what Adam and Chuck had been advertising him, you know, throughout the years on the Internet once he got to be an adult dog. But I can tell you this, when I took him to that uh, World Hunt in 05, and for most all his life that he lived here until he died, he was right at 38 to 40 pounds. So think about that for a minute. Dog went from 48 to 38. Now, if you and I lost that kind of weight, we'd have to cut off an arm or a leg or
3: both. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, percentage-wise, yeah. Yeah, getting him down here in the heat and humidity, because, you know, down here, you'd be walking around on Christmas Day in a pair of flip-flops, shorts, and a T-shirt, you know. So, you know, I knew I had to cut that weight off of him. uh you know, in his prime, Cody, he was a freak of a physical specimen. I mean, just nothing but skin, bone, muscle. He had real, you couldn't hardly grab his hair on his body. He was that short and fine. I don't know mm-hmm. how you'd freeze to death up there in West Virginia, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, so I cut a lot of weight off of him. So he was, uh, um, most people that ever went with him or saw a video will remember him for his intensity at the tree. But to be honest with you, as somebody who owned him for over a decade, the thing that always amazed me that I wish I could bottle up and sprinkle on every other dog was his stamina. And that's the only advice that Adam gave me when I got him. He said, look, he said, don't be afraid to hunt him and hunt him hard. If you can, of course, you know, again, Adam was a high schooler and I was a grown man trying to make a living, but he said, if you can take him out and hunt him hard before you put him in the box on a Friday afternoon to go to a hunt, he said, you will not hurt that dog. As a matter of fact, you make it better because you take a little bit of that age off of it. And he was Mm -hmm. right. I mean, the dog was just a absolute, he would tree as hard, generally speaking on the last tree as he would on the first. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he just, he just was a, an absolute incredible athlete. He didn't have a very wide chest like his half brother Thunder sport, but he had a real deep chest. Kind of like a racehorse.
0: Yeah. Now, now, was you doing, how hard was you hunting him?
1: When I got that dog and really realized and appreciated what I had, man, I'd get up during off season. I'd get up and go over there to Kenny Latham's place across the river, and I'd get hit the woods at about 3.30ish in the morning, and I'd hunt until the sun come up on coons, come back to the truck, take my, you know, back in them days when it, you know, had belt lights and all that kind of stuff, take all that hunt, coon hunt crap off, make sure he had some good fresh water beyond what he drank out there in the woods. And then we go for about another, not long, but you know, maybe an hour, hour and a half or something like it. then put him back up and do it all over again, you know, Sunday morning. Um, and I would hunt that dog regular.
0: Would you hunt expect? him multiple times a day or really just once oh, No, no, a day?
1: no, not multiple times. To- well, now during the season, you know, I would uh, um, go over to the cabin or go over to the Delta and, you know, I'd hunt I'd hunt Friday night when I got there. Once I got situated, unpacked my bags and all that, got the lights turned on, and then hunt Saturday morning. Come back to the cabin by around 1030, cook some brunch, basically. Take a little snooze, get up hunting that afternoon for a little while, come back, get a little something to eat for dinner. And then take him and hunt him for about an hour and a half that night and then do it all over again you know the next day so yeah but i never did hunt you know that's the good thing about having a cur dog i decide when we're gonna go home yeah and you know i never would hunt them now i got some buddies of mine todd jackson notorious about this and james Spencer used to be this way about years ago you get out, you start out there hunting about the time the sun come up, and them fools want to eat a beanie weenie sandwich or something at the tailgate and stay out there. I'm like, uh-uh, oh, not me. <laughs> uh. Well, <laughs> and, and I want to
0: clarify something for the guys that doesn't know. The reason that Mr. Mark is saying in season and out of season is because the state of Mississippi has hunting season between October 1st and the end of February, and then we have a right. 15-day season from May the 15th until June the 1st and if anybody by any chance that has anything to do with the the law we want arkansas's hunting season where when it comes in may the 15th it stays in until february so if y'all make
1: that happen we'd appreciate that well code you may be thinking of something so <laughs> going back to the uh spring season i think i told you before we set all this up that um yeah, you know, I was for about five years. I was president of the Mississippi Hunt Dog Association. And, Of course, I spent a lot of time advocating and trying to keep laws that we thought were this you know, not advantageous to hunting dog rights, um, deer dogs, and otherwise. And one of the things that I was kind of, or two things I was proud of during my time as the president of the Hunt Dog Association here in Mississippi was one, we were able to get that spring season passed by working with the wildlife department and going down to the capital and meeting with people on the wildlife committee. But the other thing that um, long before my time, hell almost before I was born. So I think since like 1970 is when the law went on the books that during spring turkey season, you could not have a dog in the woods period while spring turkey season was going on. And then as you may recall, um, back about, probably 15 years ago or thereabouts we got the where you could be in the woods after dark but no later than two o'clock on private land if you had written permission on your uh, got it had a little permit didn't cost anything that you could go to the mississippi wildlife department's website print it off fill it out and you have and they would issue you a number and so that was another thing that uh the hunt dog association as well as in connection with uh um the Mississippi raccoon hunters association with then the president Mr. Leonard Birchfield and a few others, um, that we went down and met again with some of the, uh, legislators and folks over at the wildlife commission. And we got both of those laws put into effect that expanded, um, tree dog rights.
0: Yeah. You know, I
1: mean, that that's
0: wonderful. <laughs> I really appreciate y'all fighting for the tree dogs. You know, I, I believe I read on the WMA, and I might be wrong, but the only animals that can be turned loose on WMA land, which is state owned by, our land owned by the state of Mississippi, is coon dogs and maybe hog dogs out of a season? I had to go back and look, but if well, it's...
1: I've- So coon dogs, so all right, going back to your comment a moment ago about seasons, you know, generally, yeah, most people consider the season for, you know, to be for, for tree dogs to be from October one. Cause you know, back when I first moved here, we had the stage seasons for, uh, for squirrels. You remember that northern part of the state, it was like October the 1st, Mm -hmm. central Mississippi was like the 15th and then folks down, you know, south of 84 highway, um, You know it was uh they had to wait till the end of the month and that that was done away with around the same time that we got the spring season but the point i was going to make is that you know pretty much as long as i can remember that we have the summer season for coons where you can kill one per party per night from july the first up until october the first then basically for the month of october which i still don't quite understand this and we tried to get it changed but they wouldn't budge is that then you go to five per person uh, or eight per party or something like that for about a month. And then out from November the 1st now through the basically the 1st of March into February, as many as you want to tote out of the woods. Yep. So back to your question about you know how much was I coon hunting? So man, when July the 1st rolled around, um, I would go out there and fighting skeeters and Cotton mouse and alligators and everything else, and leaves. And uh if I could get one to look at me, I'd knock out one. I'd knock out a lot of yeah. them in the summertime from July the 1st, you know, up until the season opened in earnest, where I could start going back over there to the cabin and squirrel hunting, also. Well, you
0: couldn't squirrel hunt at that time, so it makes sense. No,
1: no couldn't squirrel hunt at the time at all. So that's what, uh, and around that same time that I got Apache. Um, and Mindy was really starting to turn it on. Cause so here's what I did. I used Mandy to kind of start and help Apache develop as a coon dog. And then we kind of flip flopped when Apache got to going right, and Mandy was too old, I retired Mandy. Then I used Mandy's I used Apache to start Mandy's daughter, Mindy, the little bitty one I was telling you about. And then <laughs> <laughs> About that time, when I got Mindy going great and kind of retired Apache, I acquired Apache 2. And so we flipped back over to the other side of the family, and I used Mindy to kind of get Apache 2 started at night because he was same deal. Pretty nice. When I got him, he's a pretty nice squirrel dog, but uh, and would catch coons with some regularity during the day when he was a young dog up in Indiana, but he had never been hunted at night. And so that was kind of the ping pong and back and forth between the little, little yellow street looking dogs, and the, and the uh, dust bob, you know, black brindle dogs. I kind of I use one to start the the others offspring.
0: Yes sir. Well, I don't want to get too far away from Apache yet. I want I want to keep talking yeah. about Apache. So for the people that doesn't know, Apache's out of Thunder, correct?
1: Yeah, Apache's out of Thunder, and um. Mountain State Pepper. Okay. Now, you remember me talking about Ohio Bobby Uh a little while ago? Lucky Hank's mama. So Pepper, the Loudons got Pepper from a a lawyer out in Kansas City called Joe McMillan. And Pepper was a full brother-sister cross, both of whom... We're out of Duff's Bob and Pine Knot Tiger Paws. St. cross that produce Ohio body. Nice. So Apache on his mama's side is doubled up. It's basically a double grandpuff of Duff's Bob. And on the daddy's side, of course, he's out of Thunder. And, um, well, out of Thunder. And then Thunder was out of Street Junior and Now, some folks I even call my friends will try to get me fired up and tell me that Thunder wasn't really out of, Street Jr. and uh <laughs> Gorgetta, he was really a dust bald bed dog, but I said, Well, whatever. I don't I wasn't around back then. I never did get a chance to hunt with Thunder. He was uh he wasn't dead, but he was, you know, well past his prime and Allen had retired him by the time I kind of gravitated to that line of dogs.
0: Yes, sir. And and for those of y'all that wanna hear about Franklin's Thunder, we had, we interviewed Mr. Allen already, so go check him out. All right. So can you name? Obviously, he was a 2016 OMCBA Hall of Fame inductee. Can you? Yes. What was some of the other achievements that? Do you know them off the top of your head?
1: Um, yeah, a little bit. So when Adam had him um, as a young dog, you know, they hunted most of their hunts other than bringing him. So Adam brought him to jamestown twice before i purchased him i think in 03 and 04 both times were in june and he gosh i want to say you know he placed in the top five i think both times um second one time and third the next or something like that so he had had two placements um in the omcba or maybe second fifth something like that but most of what they hunted up in that area to include allen and others um was WTBA the World Tree Dog Association?
0: Yes, sir, they hunt that a lot up there.
1: Yeah, and it was an open breed. I mean, you could hunt a you know, they had elk hounds. I think one of the toughest casts Adam told me ever had with Apache as a young dog was an elk hound that some fell up there in the mountains had. He said that was a show enough squirrel dog. It didn't look like much, it looked like somebody's pet, or it ought to have been pulling a sled or something, brother. He said but it was a very nice dog, but um he was a super grand squirrel champion in the WTDA and a reserve world champion. And I want to say like maybe a grand, you know, bench champion or something like that in the WTDA. And then, like I said, Adam had put two, I want to say top five placements on him, but that was all he had been hunted in when I got him in uh, March of 05. And so, um, I hunted him in OMCBA hunts. And man, just because, like I said, because of my ineptitude as a handler, that dog had, I want to say he had three second places, both day and night and a whole slew of other, I mean, he had enough points to be, you know, but for the first place, it took me forever. But I got those at the 50th anniversary hunt the same weekend, but he had enough points to be a champion about four times over. (laughs) I just never could get those first place wins, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I also put him in three NKC hunts in uh, three different states and got three first places on him. So that made him NKC champion pretty nice. quick. And, um, yeah, we used to have, and I used to put some of these other dogs we talked about in some UKC hunts. Most of our UKC hunts were down around Pearl River County, down in South Mississippi. I put some of the other dogs in that, but, you know, that kind of petered out by the time I got Apache. Mm-hmm. Um were well yeah we still had some PKC squirrel hunts, um, but for some reason I think I'd already retired him by this time when those kind of got kicked back up. So I did put Mindy in some of those, but I don't think I ever put Apache in a PKC squirrel hunt. Like I said, I used to hunt a lot of K S B A hunts before they kind of you know changed the rules and made it you know kind of made it non kimmer dog friendly. But I used to hunt a lot of K S B A hunts back in the day.
0: Well. Wow now how did apache hunt was he a ambush style dog or was he nose on the ground style dog
1: no no definitely not the latter so
0: was um, running wide he open hunt, looking for a hot one
1: he would hunt kind of like a bird dog mm-hmm. um you cut him loose and he would generally you know cast on out he wouldn't necessarily like Buster, you know, throw dirt up in your face or something, act like he was going to run a tree over or something. He would leave out at a brisk pace and uh, and get out of sight pretty quick. And he kind of hunted like figure eights, kind of in the direction. He would come back, you know, if he didn't find anything on a slow day, he would come back within eyesight, especially if the leaves were off and the brush was, you know, uh, kind of down. And if you wanted to put your hands on him, you could holler at him, and he come to you. If you didn't say anything to you, he'd just keep on going. And he kind of just casts back and forth back and forth back and forth probably you know his normal hunting range was you know after three 350 something like that and usually he'd find something you know to tree um the farthest I ever had to walk to him which made me quite honestly upset because I had to go either through but wind up going around a large cut over there over in the delta he was like three quarters of a mile back in there and I
2: well
3: wow. I
1: Leash on him quickly. Larry Wagner was actually hung <laughs> that day. He said, "You gonna walk that dog forever?" I said, "You wanna make another go like that?" I said, "Obviously, nothing's not moving around here." And I said, "That wasn't too fun because <laughs> it's really, really muddy over there. You know, it's no hills and nothing like that, but it's really yeah. muddy that. And day that too. gumbo
0: it's mud oh, will make yeah, your boots long, fifteen pounds."
1: I told him, "I told him, I said, get your little brindle butt over here. I said, we gonna walk for a little while. You gonna get, you gonna get some of those yah yahs out, but you know, generally speaking, now." Yeah. Like all good squirrel dogs that I've tried to turn into decent coon dogs, that was the first problem when I started taking him at night with old Mandy. He didn't want to get venture out far. yeah, I remember the first time I took him at night. I took him and, and Mandy and some old boys that from south or uh, from Brookade Michigan to come up to meet me. Mandy had two coons on him before he knew what day it was I mean just pow, pow. But to his credit, that very first night I took him, he got off by himself over by the Pearl River and blew up trees in there. And I walked in there and I thought, well, look in here. He had a cone sitting up in the fork of the tree. And I thought, okay, all right. So it took a while for him to get comfortable. He knew we were in the woods. He knew he was with me because I'd been squirrel hunting. But he wouldn't range out a whole lot, which in my experience is not uncommon, especially with cur dogs that have not been coon hunted, but are pretty good squirrel, you know, squirrel dogs. They just don't, they don't feel comfortable.
0: Yes. That's a common, that's pretty common I hear.
1: Yeah, And once we got past that, then Lord help you. We want to tree everything in the woods. We want to tree coons, squirrels, possums, everything. So then we had to work on that. Now he treats
0: squirrels at night.
1: Yeah i mean when we first started cool hunting sure he would
0: was you and jeremy shooting them out to him at night
1: no (laughs) no Uh, Uh, I, you know i'm sitting here thinking i don't know that garner ever hunted with apache he got with apache too a bunch but i don't know that garner ever hunted with
0: apache i'm just picking i heard him say that they'd shoot him out at night if his dog (laughs) treat him at at the beginning before he learned
1: better but, like I said, he eventually got to where now another problem we had. <laughs> and I called aloud one day. So, when I first started coon hunting, of course, you know, we if I don't know about where you live, but good place to find coons around here is around Cypress, Lus and Water. Okay, uh-huh. and uh, I'm out there and this dog gun's tiptoeing around like he's walking on hot coals out there. I'm thinking. And then he got across the creek from me one time in the daytime and I had to literally swim him across. You seen how them folks do the hammer throw? You know, they, <laughs> at the Olympics. <laughs>
2: yeah. he got
1: me so mad. i got in over my waiters walking across. I was hunting with Todd Pounds and Mutt Beer down in Marion County and he wouldn't come and went to studs on me. And I finally just lost my cool. And I swung him around two or three times and just slung him out there in the middle. I said, you either going to drown or you going to learn to swim. So I called the rounds and I said, Hey, fellas. I said, "Does this damn dog know how to swim?" They said, "Well, think about what you asking, Morrison. His name is Mountain State Apache. You know, and they oh, thats the state motto for West Virginia." He said, "How many lakes and ponds and sloughs you think we got up here in Buckhead and West Virginia?" <laughs> <laughs>
0: so he was not fisting to go win any of them swimming competitions.
1: No. He couldn't back when I first got that dog, he couldn't win a, a what they call it a, a water race to save his life. I'm I'm not so sure he wouldn't have drowned. Of course, again, <laughs> first
0: dog ever that drowned in a, a swimming yeah, competition. He
1: drowned. he'd have sunk like a damn rock. But of course, because of the terrain and the environment and where I was hunting regularly, you know, he had to get around that. Now the yeah. only time he would now on that same thought, the only time Apache would ever open up on a track was if he would get out in the water, once he figured out he wasn't going to die, um, and get out there at night, and he'd get out there in the middle of a slough with, you know, it might be, you know, ankle to knee-deep water, and he's sitting around out there getting frustrated because he can smell that scent on the water where the coons come through there, but he couldn't necessarily sort it out because, again, he was still learning, you know, to coon hunt. And yep. so he would open up then and I'd finally come in there and get around on his side. i say, look, you got to get out of here. You better drive me crazy. Come on, leave that alone. Let's go. <laughs> let's go see if we can find something else.
0: Oh, that's funny. All right. So apparently Mr. Alan Franklin had bred him right before you got him. Do you know if that was his first litter ever?
1: Oh no, 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 no. He had been bred. Um, but that scoundrel had pups from New York all the way to Oklahoma. So they started breeding pretty early. Yeah. I mean, he had been bred a pretty good bit. I think he had been bred to a couple of hounds. Um, when Adam, I think well, at least a one Walker dog. I think they had bred him to when he was a young dog and of course, a couple of different mountain curs. um, devil's Creek stretch. who was one of the more successful nice dogs out of Apache, um, was out of a female called jukebox Nini that Alan owned at the time. And then a boy down in Alabama wind up buying, buying her. But, um, that was a cross that they made um, before I got Apache. Um, and then the Apache 2 dog was a cross. Um, the uh, Oh, gosh, what was their name? It was a father and son out of Indiana that had Apache 2, and they brought their female over and bred to him. So there, there were some nice dogs that were out of uh, crosses that um, uh, Adam and Chuck had made with Apache when he was a young dog long before I
0: bought him. Now, did you start breeding him pretty regular when you first got him? Or did you ever breed him regular? Let me ask that question.
1: Yeah, you know, so I had, um, I bred him to Julie, the first one, naturally, a couple times. Mm -hmm. I bred him to Jojo a couple times. I bred him to Mandy. I bred him to Mindy.
0: Did you venture out outside of your own dogs?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if, uh i mean i wasn't did you
0: did you wait or did you do that off the beginning like did you do that like within six months or did you wait and hunt him for a while just to
1: you know i was concerned about breeding him a whole lot in the very early days when i had him but to be honest with you that was never a problem with him he was well, you say you're gonna keep his family friendly, so I'm not gonna say what I normally say, but you he know, was a PG. He was he was a professional <laughs> breeder. I mean, he was like a machine.
0: You didn't have to help him.
1: New, <laughs> New. Uh-uh. It was if if the female would halfway cooperate, it was a done deal by the time you turned your head around. Wow. I mean, he was just now, which has spoiled me because these knuckleheads I've had afterwards.
0: So you don't think it changed his attitude none? Once once he got no, done, he was, uh, he was done?
1: Well, me and John Mears got hoodooed one time up at Jamestown. I did withdraw him early on in a hunt because he was harassing the fool out of this female, which was very uncharacteristic. He's trying to mount her at the tree. I'm thinking, what has gotten into you? Well, before we even turn the blues, he's on the end of the leash, about to drag me over to her. I'm thinking, what has gotten... Because I hadn't seen him. <laughs> And so it wasn't, I want to say it was the first, no, it was the second tree, because I thought, well, maybe he just got some stupid aim or whatever. And, and uh, John Neer is hunting uh, Mr. Bill, tree-style Mr. Bill. And uh, so I just withdrew him at the second tree. I said, look, you uh, know, but I said, "Hey, you know, we're not far from the truck. I said, I'm going to hustle back, put him in his silly acting self in the box, and I'll join y'all back and go with you on the cast. help you look for squirrels, yada, yada, yada. Well, Mr. Bill didn't fool with her. That drop. But we hunted out the little old spot. Of course, we got back truck, and I'm giving old Patchy the stink. I'm thinking, you fool, you! what are you acting like this for? Because I'd ask the guy, I said, man, is that you in heat? Oh, no, 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 no. no. I said, she ain't even due to be in heat. Well, we get to the second and final drop place, and we ain't had the dogs cut loose for a few minutes. And I'm standing there with the group next to the mirrors, and all of a sudden we hear a squeal up on the ridge up above us. And you see this big old, because Mister Bill was a big old brindle dog. This is a little old street dip that was causing all the commotion. Yeah, and, he, and she's trying to eat Bill up because Bill's trying to ride her across that ridge up there. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, and we get that so Bill doesn't hunt worth a flip the rest of the hunt because he has had his butt stomp by John and Tommy Mears for food with females, and John's actually trying to give me helpful pointers as to how to break a patch of land. I'm thinking, man, hush, he's just trying to be nice. Well, <laughs> we find out later on through talk up there at the clubhouse and, late, and even in confirmation after the fact, as I talked to Carl later on, that boy knew exactly what he was doing because he left the dog in Jamestown for Carl to breed her to like big time or something else. Hey, I told John, I said, we've been hoodooed hoss. I said, now she wasn't a bad dog. But she wasn't nothing to write home about mr bill and patchy were twice the dog she was i'm thinking we could both got sent back to the truck on account of a dog that was brought up there <laughs> for the primary purpose of getting b- dropped off in bread but oh by the way since i'm up here i'll just go ahead and put her in the hunt <laughs>
0: yeah well uh, he was he was pretty smart it sounds like to me
1: yeah well trust me Next nah. time I saw him, I
0: let him know about that too. <laughs> that that's not very sportsmanlike. So uh, you know we we no, don't. It's we, not. We, we we don't approve of people cheating other folks. So make sure your dog ain't in heat.
1: Well, if I'd known what I knew then, I'd have I'd have called her out away and pulled some Vicks vapor rub out of my pocket and <laughs> rubbed it all over her. That way Apache <laughs> would decide he'd leave leaving that alone because it burned his nose too bad or something.
0: Sounded to me like that that's old boy funny. was wanting a free stud fee. If we hadn't been there, he'd
1: have got him one. (laughs) Like I said, that was he was a professional. Sound like good cross to me, streak on streak. Well, see, y'all say that, but again, if you ever look at my dog's pedigree, so I had to listen to all that mess his entire life, too. He's like 116th or 118th, 18th streak or something like that. The vast majority of what's in that dog ain't got it, go back to streak anyway, shape, or form. Oh, I miss messing with you. And trust me, if you've ever been with many street dogs, if you if you find one to treat like he did, I'm a buyer tomorrow. You just tell them just to see how much they want for the dog because, you know, most of it, now I will say this, Carl had a dog called a Magnum, and he probably had the most tree power of any of the ones that I had seen, um, including ones that Carl Carl and Carl owned a bunch of nice, successful dogs, but that Magnum dog actually treed um, with some authority and I liked him. I, I hunted with him one time. Um, when I was hunting Apache two up there at Jamestown, Carl actually went on the cast with me guiding out. Well, and, uh,
0: I thought I had Mr. Carl talked into coming on a few weeks ago and I don't know if somebody got in his ear, told him not to or what, which I'm not trying to cause any controversy. The the man has done nothing to me. He, you know, he, he's been around squirrel dogs for more years than I've been alive. So I just want to interview him on his knowledge, but he he decided he didn't want to come on, but he has, heck, I talked to him a couple of weeks in a row and he was breeding gyps every, every time I talked to him, he was taking a dog somewhere to get bred. So he's
1: still breeding dogs. Oh, look, you know, he and I have not spoken in a long time. There was a time when I first started coming up there. Look, I had a span of, of a stretch of time cody when i think they had the doors open for an event a hunt up there like 33 i made like 30 out of 33 times i mean wow. i i would come up there you know and that's a haul for you
0: times. how many hours is that?
1: That's about eight nine eight to nine depending yeah, I mean, on how you know which way i went
0: that's uh that's dedication
1: but i started writing a column um when david carr kind of got sick and kind of quit and um I can't remember exactly how long I did it, but you know, back during those times, because I was hungry for knowledge, I was trying to learn about these dogs. i I had had you know some exposure to some streetbred or street junior Georgia bred dogs, and so you know, after and of course Danny and James had known Carl for eons, and and uh, so I started coming up there in '03. 03. September '03 03 was my first visit. Brought my son up there, and we brought the camper and kind of stayed. And um, anyway, so there there was a time when. It wasn't even about official OMCBA business, you know, if I wanted to know something or had seen something or heard something about a dog or something like that, you know, I'd call Carl or he would call me once in a while. And, you know, there was a time when, um, you know, I would consider us uh, friends, I guess, as well as fellow, you know, he was still the president and I was on board of directors later on for a couple of terms and wrote the column before that. So, Miss Judy is somebody I think the world of, you know, I've always... uh, Had a good relationship and thought that she is probably uh, the greatest asset of the OMCBA. You know.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'd love. I know this is about you, but I'd love to get him on and just talk dogs. But you know, let's. uh, We we could get down that rabbit hole, but I'd rather keep it about you at this
1: moment. Well, that's probably not as exciting, but yeah, for 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 enough. (laughs) For a number of reasons, we'll get off that subject and move on. So,
0: um, did you ever notice, was there a certain trait that Apache passed on that you kind of saw in all his dogs? Did they all do something similar? Was they all hard tree dogs or did they all get gone or?
1: Well, let me tell you one of the things that was most curious that was not passed on to his direct offspring, his sons and daughters. It's kind of always kind of been curious to me. So, His trademark tree style was again bouncing on his front feet every breath. And every time was was he bouncing off
0: a tree or off the ground?
1: No, he was sitting there right at the tree. You couldn't Uh walk between him and the tree. And everyone, you know, he would get up on the tree some, especially at night. But his normal tree style, if you ever watch a video of him floating around out there, that he's right at the base of the tree, got his hind end kind of crouched down and he is popping those feet kind of like a metronome you keep time with a piano or something mm-hmm. he, those feet are hitting the ground and every time those feet hit the ground he's yow, 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 yow. and ironically so that was kind of like the the engine stomp or whatever you know, a lot of people call it different things but that was kind of like something that really set him apart from 95 percent of the dollars you'll ever see the mm-hmm. irony of it cody was I can't tell you off the top of my head. I'm sure there's some that exist, but I can't tell you off the top of my head any of his direct daughters or sons that have that same bounce. And the crazy thing is, is if you can get on the Internet tonight and watch videos, surfing around different places on Facebook and elsewhere, and you will see grandsons and daughters great grandsons and on down the line now that he you know he's he's been dead since twenty sixteen and was old when he died. So it was something that kind of skipped that first generation and then would pop up with great regularity afterwards. And keep on being perpetuated. Well so the irony so that was kinda ironic to me and I never really did understand that. But the traits that were passed on, you know, and of course if you own the dog and have raised puppies out of them, out of different females and your buddies lined up with them. So you see a lot of the offspring. So it's nothing you unique to Apache or what have you. If, if you know a line of dogs, there was a time when I could walk around the there at the grounds of Jamestown at a big hunt or elsewhere. And, you know, if I got within 50 yards of one, I could usually watch it, look at it. And I could usually guess the ones that went back to him to some, you know, meaningful degree just from confirmation. Because one of the things that he did pass on um, didn't necessarily mean that they were going to make the kind of tree dog ultimately that you and I want to own and hunt and feed, what have you. But they were always very athletic. Ironically enough, the least athletic one that I can think of off the top of my head that made a nice dog was Apache 2. Apache 2 was coarser haired, longer haired, and just not a real light on his feet kind of dog. But uh he was uh he was a nice dog. But he just wasn't that kind of snappy, keen, you know, lean, muscular built with um, but that was the uh that was one of the things that I always liked about his pups is that generally speaking, he threw a well put together, very athletic um, puppy. And again, most of them, um, if you put the time in them, some crosses better, milk more than others, but if you put the time in them that, you know, if they made a tree dog, it wasn't no, uh, you didn't have to knock out a bunch of game to them. You didn't have to talk them up. You didn't have to worry about them um, leaving trees with any regularity once they got past, you know, the stupid age. Um, but like Jeremy and I were talking about yesterday and Todd Jackson, I've had this conversation for 15 years now. You know, they're not for everybody. Um, a lot of people don't want to put up with chewing on the tree. Yeah. Um, they don't want to put up with when they first start treeing. That's how Todd and I both knew the first time he started telling me about Bayou Bob, the really nice male dog that he has now that he's had some success breeding with, that's when we knew, cause I knew if Todd Jackson was keeping a male puppy, I knew it had to be something special. He saw something in it from the get go. And he told me one day, I remember that he laid his first tree out behind the house. He said, man, I reached down there to pay him. And that little rascal reached over there and grabbed me on the, on the forearm, on the wrist, I said, <laughs> yep. And I said, I bet you did a dance around the tree. Didn't you excited? He said, yes, I did. He said, I'll work on that later. He said, but that tells me that that one got the good stuff in him. Funny story on that real quick. So the first time my wife ever saw Patchy in the woods, and one of the only times we had just gotten him, I think it was that spring. So I went, we had just got, it was like maybe spring of 06. I taken him down the hunt camp before it got too god awful hot for my wife's taste. And we cut him loose down there. And, uh, Like I said, it was in the spring. So I told her, I said, honey, I said, you know, keep kind of close behind me. I said, step where I step and keep your eyes open. So I want to make sure you don't step on the snake that I step over, what have you. Yeah. We cut it loose down there. And like I said, you know, he'd been making some progress because I had been coon hunting. He blows in there and he gets tree, but he's in a real thick area. And so we're kind of picking our path in there. And it's tight quarters. And he's up on the tree. He's not doing his bouncing because he would he didn't like to doing that bouncing if he had a bunch of limbs and vines and all that, popping mm-hmm. him on the head every time he was bobbing up and down. Yeah. And I walked in there because I'm more worried about my wife not, and then the dog. And I've already got the leash off from around my neck and got the, you know, the snap in one hand and the tail in the other. And I reach up there to snap that brass snap on the D-ring. And that son gun turns around and grabs me, and I like to beat him half to death. <laughs> And my wife is hollering, ho, 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 what are you doing? Don't be killing our dog. We paid too much money for that dog, this, that, and the other. So I call, uh, it had to been earlier than that spring. It had to been right when I first got in, because I called Chuck and Adam, and I got Chuck on the phone to daddy. I said, Chuck, I said, Let me tell you what happened last night and see if you can tell me what the hell's going on here. And I told him the story and he starts laughing at me. I'm thinking, that's not the way this is supposed to go. You're supposed to give me some sort of insight into this dog we just got. And he said, well, you never owned a hound, have you? I said, man, I didn't call you to talk about a hound. And I did. Darn sure didn't think I bought one. I said, <laughs> he <laughs> he does not trick you. He said, look, he said, no, he said, I didn't, we didn't sell you a hound. He said, obviously you have not owned a hound because that's very common amongst hounds and harder tree dogs. He said, look. It's a simple solution. Do not walk up behind that dog day or night and just grab him off the tree. He said, get around about a quarter turn where he can see you and just holler his name. You may have to holler, but you got to break his concentration. He'll come straight over there to you, and you can leash him up. And sure enough, man, to the day that I last hunted that dog, Cody, day or night, I would walk into the tree and pick me out the sapling I wanted to tie him to. At that tree there, you know, whether it's competition, pleasure hunting, day or night. Wow. And you call him after, you know, you would have to you know raise your voice. So he, you know, make sure he understood because he's in another world. And sure enough, he would come over to you. He would turn to face the tree, put his right rib cage on the outside of your left shin. And the only other caution you had to take at that point, and then you just snap the, snap the, the leash on him. But as a couple of my buddies found out over the years, what you better not do, especially if you're a shorter fella, you better not be bent over with your face over top of his head. Because as soon as that brass snap clicks on that D-ring, he's coming up with that first bounce. Oh, well. He hit, one of my, he hit one of my buddies with a crown of his head right in his nose and mouth, about knocked him out. Dang. <laughs> Nice. He stood up, he had blood running out of his nose and his upper lip and all that, and he went to saying some choice words. To me. And long and short of it is, yo, you will be handling your own dog because I'm not fooling with that crazy thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so was there ever a favorite cross you had? Do you have one that you think stands above the others?
1: Yeah, two, um, neither of which I can take any credit for. So obviously Alan Franklin had great success with Apache bred to um, Franklin's ginger. Franklin's ginger is also out of Franklin's thunder. So it was a half brother, half sister cross that produced first produced the hall of fame, Mountain State Geronimo. Mm-hmm. And, but for a miscarriage of justice at the, uh, OMCBA board of directors, it also should have produced a second hall of fame dog called 2020 tank
0: mm-hmm hang so, on, hang on what what about the omcba now
1: what did you say 2020 tank was up last september for hall of fame
0: oh and they didn't induct him in and they
1: didn't induct him into the hall of fame
0: Wow. yeah i, I wonder right, what that, dogs did get inducted in
1: i can't even remember now yeah now, now neither i mean one of them i can't remember either of their names cody but one of them was something that and even two of them, as I recall, in their own right, yeah, were dogs that I guess I wouldn't have had if I'd been in the room and had a vote. I probably wouldn't have had a problem with it. The only problem is when Twenty Twenty Tank is in the is up for is in the class being considered. Neither one of them two should have made it in before he did. Yeah, so, I mean... it was just, so it was just ridiculous. So Geronimo and Tank are full brothers, but mm-hmm. separate litters. Okay. And so that was obviously a very because there are a lot of good dogs that Geronimo was a good dog in his own right. Tank was a good dog in his own right, but they also produced a lot of nice dogs. So that half brother sister cross, which again is not surprising because you breed Apache to his half sister, both of whom are out of Franklin's thunder, then you know, you wind up with two very influential dogs. But the probably the most voluminous and successful cross was Made with uh, Taylor by Todd and Gavin Jackson to Apache, and it was made three times. Um, Todd had seen Apache up at Jamestown on one of the, I, I don't remember him being on the same time I saw Apache up there just for a Friday before the hunt, you mm-hmm. know, fun, but he had apparently been on one of those rounds, and so you know he knew there was something different about the dog. And so kind of after everybody had kind of, you know, Apache was yesterday's news. Nobody had bred to Apache other than me and maybe a handful of other people. Todd called me uh, one summer um, and uh, said, hey, I'd like to, uh, I'm thinking about breeding a uh, mostly Kimberbred female that I have to Apache. Would you mind showing it to me? It's been a long time since I've seen it. I said, well, sure. So going back to the coon summer coon season, starting like the first weekend of July, I met Todd and Gavin up at Twin Oaks wildlife management area. It was God awful hot. And we went out there and, uh, hunted Apache Taylor and Taylor's mama. Um, and, uh, you know, not for real long, an hour and a half, something like that. Apache treated coon and we found it and all the leaves. Yeah. He said, that's all I need to see. He said, she ought to be in heat here shortly. He said, uh, I'd like to breed if you'll let me. I said, sure, man, I'd be glad for you to. And so he made that cross three times. The first time produced um, Dove and Gavin's little Annie. And Gavin's little Annie was probably one of the best competition style squirrel dogs out of Apache. Um She was a bigger red female. And just was a monster i mean you know she didn't treat it like as hard as dove but she was get gone um you know very nice dog and that's actually the mama of bayou bob when they bred annie the to hummer that's what produced bob
0: oh well now so, i saw dove pictures of her she she foam at the mouth wouldn't she? her slobber or like, whatever like you want
1: like to. you like stuff out because her tablets in her cheeks yeah <laughs>
0: she treated hard huh
1: yeah, and of course, you know, with that came um, if I had been competition hunting her for a couple weekends in a row and hadn't had her do-right collar on her, the first time I'd take her out after that, you, she'd tell on herself like clockwork. She'd roll in there, fall tree, be trained like her fanny's on fire and then hush. And as soon as I could find the hot button, I'd lay it to her. And she would squall, and then she'd get mad, and then you didn't have to do it for – you know, maybe the next couple of hunts, but she, she was kind of like a teenage boy. She was bad about tree, uh, chewing on the tree as a teenager will be if you let them. Hey. But she only took one. I mean, she knew what she was doing and she knew it was wrong. But if she hadn't been wearing that collar for a while, um, Jeremy, I tell you, um, uh, we were on a cast up there at one of Terry Snyder's hunts. When I lost my ball cap up there, she went in there deep in tree. I think he come into the tree. With me. Anyway, I walked in, there and the way I I couldn't see her, I could hear her. But the way I found her was, it was this white, glistening tree from about four foot down. I got in there, and she had stripped all the bark off that tree. <laughs> and the crazy thing about it was, Cody, even while she was chewing, she could out bark most good dogs.
3: Really? I don't know how
1: she did it. Yeah, you know, I don't know how she did it, but she could still you. And you know, she didn't have a big old boomer mouth. She wasn't all that big. She didn't weigh about. It. 35, 37 pounds, somewhere around there. But she was a she was a tree dog. She was something to watch now. I got I sold her back just because I never could get her broke off of possums. You know, there was nights that she looked like a million bucks. Say in five nights of coon hunting, two nights, man, she looked fantastic. Good as you could hope for. The other two nights, she wouldn't pass up a possum. She, she she would pass a coon to go get a possum. And then, you know, yeah. that fifth, I, you know, she just kind of looked, you know, acceptable, but nothing to write home about, but nothing to make you want to, you know, whip her all the way back to the bike or something, brother. So it just was that inconsistency. I never could get her over the hump. But to be honest with you, you know, there were times that I regretted selling her because she was a very, very nice squirrel dog yep. and, and a very sweet temperament and all that. So, I mean, she was just a, But I just, she kind of broke a streak that I had going of taking good squirrel dogs and turning them into coon dogs. They were not necessarily world beaters, but were something that I enjoyed hunting night in and night out. I just, those two nights, 40% of the time I would take her where she would just go out there and just, even after me getting on tour, I tried everything I could think of, you know, within the bounds of being humane to break her from, and she just, look, she's one of those dogs. she is very gamey. She uh, after after just coming off a litter of puppies, Todd and I were hunting her road hunter over there at uh, Panther Swamp, and we seen a deer cross the road up a couple hundred yards away. Mm-hmm. Todd says, "Watch this," he said. I guarantee you I'm gonna have to bump her. And sure enough, just she hadn't even dried up real good from the puppies. She's walling <laughs> down the road, and she she catches a whiff of that deer. And she starts, and he hollers at her, and she kind of hesitates for a minute, but then kind of starts to try to catch another gear, so we had to bump her. She's just one of them hard headed dogs, which is what made her. You could beat her off the tree with a stick. Well, She's a tree dog now.
0: Well, Well, I kind of feel like we glossed over a couple of, of dogs. You know, we was talking about direct descendants off of Apache. I mean, you got Holland's Luke, which won quite a bit. Mountain State Apache 2, Tank, 2020 Tank. I mean, there's quite a few nice, nice dogs. And and to be fair, 2020 Tank through 2020 Hummer and 2020 Festus. So if it wasn't for Tank, I'm sorry, if it wasn't for Apache, Tank wouldn't have been there. So, you know, the lineage is there. I mean, it's them two, Hummer and Festus, have nine world titles together. I mean, that's you know, I don't want to gloss over that he was an amazing reproducer apparently over the right females, you know, what was the first puppy you kept off of him?
1: I never kept a puppy directly off of him because, you know, again, don't get it twisted Cody. I have never told anybody that I was ever a puppy starter or what happened. So, you know, what I would do, however, is if I was, Part of a, if I made a cross, I would make sure that some of them went to people. I would give them away to people that I knew would give them a fair chance. For example, the trouble dog that I have um now—it's a double. He's out of uh, Apache Two and Monday, which is Mindy's daughter. Um, so, double grandpa of Apache. You know, I. Sold him to a good friend of mine, and he did a good job of getting him started, and I was ready to have another young dog to fool with, so I bought him back. So that's what I would do. I wouldn't expect somebody to, you know, same way with Dove. Dove was my litter mate. What was my, excuse me, my stud fee puppy, and Keith called me one day and said he was looking for, you know, a dog that fit her description at a young age as a puppy. And I said, Well, look, call Todd Jackson. I said, And if uh, tell him I told you to call, then I said, You're welcome to uh, just pay Todd for the puppy. And of course, he, you know, Todd was one started Dove and all that. But then when it got time for, uh, you know, Keith wanted to, you know, try to sell her to me. So I would buy them back. I wouldn't start them myself. I have not anybody's idea of a, uh, I just don't have patience, man. To me, the time I spend in the woods, I would rather have something that maybe is at a minimum well-started, or maybe doesn't know anything about coon hunting back in the day, that was a nice squirrel dog that I could enjoy immediately once it got used to me and me to it, and then I could tinker with it at night to try to turn it into a coon dog, but you know, no, I never, um, other than that bow dog, and again, he wound up being a nice dog, probably in spite of a lot of things that I did that would have ruined many dogs, he was just a natural. But, um, yeah, you know, I never kept puppies for me to start. I would sell them, give them away or what have you, and then keep track of what was going on with them. And then, uh, but I've, you know, everything I've got now, everything I've had since Oh five goes back in some degree significantly to Apache. So I've kind of stayed, I guess, brand loyal, if you will. Some would say kennel blind, Yeah, but, uh, you know, that's everything I've had goes back to that. And most all of it has. Heavy Street, Junior, and Georgia on one side, and then Dust Bob and Pine Knot Tiger Paws on the other. I have steered clear of the third cross that the, Loudon, the that the Loudons, you know, were very fond of was the tuesday and Toots Candy. And there's a simple reason for that is because they just don't, on average, have the heat tolerance that's necessary to – perform down here in our climate. So now, you, you know, actually I'm,
0: found that they would get hotter quicker.
1: Yeah. And I've got evidence of that. Thank goodness. They don't have a whole lot of them in it, but I, so I own a younger full sister to Humber 2020 Daisy. Well, I bought her several years ago um, when trouble got down with a tick board illness and I needed something to hunt and also bought her to breed to buster. And so she has a little bit of Tuesday on Toots candy in her, And Buster, consequently, has a little bit in him. And you can tell the difference between them and the rest of them up there because they have less heat tolerance than ones that don't have that. And that's, you know, I talked to Adam, um, Alan Franklin about it. Alan sent me over to uh, Jay Overholt, who Jay was one of the more biggest proponents and had a lot of success up there in the omcba and wtd and elsewhere he was he hunted heavy tube stale tubes candy dogs for a long time i ain't talked to jay in forever but i'm assuming he's still alive and kicking and squirrel hunting but alan told me he said look he said you're on to something mark i'm not going to tell you you're wrong he said there's jay sitting right over there he said go talk to him i said you ain't going to offend him so i sat down over there next to him in the big clubhouse and i said jay i said you know i said this is what i think i'm seeing I said, any truth to that? He said, well, obviously, it's not a problem for us up here in Ohio, you know, north of the Mason-Dixon, because we don't have the hot, humid clim- climate that you have. He said, but yes, he said, you're not the first person to tell me that that's what you've heard and observed. He said, yeah, there's some truth to that. He said, I don't know what it is or why it is, but they just tend to lack the heat tolerance. I said, well, that's a deal breaker for me down here.
0: Yeah, well, that's pretty cool. I, you know, I just assume. A dog will get used to it like a human would, you know. You live down here, you're for the most part going to get used to it. You work outside, in it?
1: And the thing about it is, Cody, too, the shame of it is, is that, you know, they had kind of piqued my interest. One, because the Loudons were kind of, you know, high on making the, all of They wanted all their dogs to go back to those three crosses. Yeah. Street Junior, Georgetta, Dust Bob, T- not Tiger Paws, and then Tuesday and Candy. And the sad part was the ones that I had seen up there, when it wasn't hot in the colder months they were tree dogs now i mean they had more pop to them at the tree more intensity than your average you know mountain curve but then um dane tilly i want to say bought a direct daughter of tuesday on tuesday that the loudons loudons had and he took that dog to the um woods after he got back down to louisiana he said, Man, she blew off in there like her tail was on fire. He said she blew up on that tree, sounded so pretty. And he said, Then she hushed. Or well, she she got she choked down and slowed her barking. He said, By the time I got to her, he said, Man, she was practically laid down at the base of the tree, barely barking. Look, she about to have eight stroke. Hey. Yeah, that's just one example. You yeah. know, that Dane told me years ago when we went to a Louisiana OMCBA hunt down. There, we we're comparing notes and talking dogs and all that. And you know, so then the more that I saw some dogs that people had bought or brought or raised, you know, down in this neck of the woods, and I, you know, it became kind of apparent. And like I said, I I got two of them out there right now that if it's not hot, especially Buster, Buster hunts you to death, but he ain't, get, but he don't know when to to dial it back either he was up there treeing in the exercise yard right before you and i got on the phone when my wife went up there he'd get in there about fall out dead from a heat stroke rather than go get in his skin and get some water <laughs> how old's buster he and daisy both are right around i would have to look on the papers but they're like 11 or 12
0: now you still hunting a little like so, uh once every three months or Oh, no, no, no,
1: no, no. I mean, more often than that during the season now. So I changed jobs last year. So that kind of um, in uh, September, August, September. So I kind of on my best P's and Q's to transition into working for the man rather than for myself for the first time in 30 years. So that kind of cut down on a little bit. But the biggest hindrance to me hunting in more recent times was, I don't know if you, boy, you live in the States, so you had to seen this you know we had a series from 2017 18 and 19 over there in the delta which is where i do 95 percent of my hunting and half for years where around the first of the year the water would get up so high it got up so high that my cabin that sits eight foot above the ground in 2019 had eight inches of water in it for months
0: my cousin has a place in rolling fork and his yeah
1: well i mean that's that's in the in the neighborhood yeah
0: and his trailer stayed underwater for six months ruined his tractor and i mean it was as well
1: they lost so we lost 40 percent uh, in other words two out of five months of a season um for three years running and again when that trouble dog of mine came down with that tick board illness and he didn't make a full recovery it kind of took the he was really starting to make a very enjoyable coon dog matter of fact that's how he got the coon i, I know where he got it. he got it at the management across the trace from my house I didn't know it at the time. I didn't think, man, I had never given my dogs, uh, chick preventative in December and January, and yeah. he wound up getting into some ticks one night, some cattails over there in the swampy area and got them on me. And, you know, I thought I got all of them off of him. Long story short is after spending a God awful sum of money, you know, he is alive. He's got some decent quality of life, you know, life in the sense that my wife loves the dog and, and he loves her, but. He doesn't have any heat tolerance. He, he lost a lot of muscle mass permanently in his hind end, whereas he used to look like a Jeep red pit bull. I mean, he had the physique <laughs> on him, um, dynamite physique. I mean, not a very tall dog, but, uh, you know, just a very enjoyable dog. What You know, wasn't going to be any world-beater competition-wise, but he had really started coming on. Well, the night before I realized that there was a problem, Um, I took him by himself. Over at Twin Oaks, made three trees, seen two singles in a, in a obvious den and uh, put him up, went to get him out to go home that next morning, just me and him at the cabin. And uh, I could tell something was wrong with his hind end, like he was somehow stiff. And I thought, well, maybe something cut his foot or pulled a tendon or, you know, something. Well, by the time I got home the next morning, I went up there to check on him. and Heck, I had to pick him up out of the dog box and put him in, I mean, out of the dog house and put him in the dog box take him to the bed. And that just... Uh, he never did recover, so that kind of—I ain't gonna lie to you—kind of dampened my spirits for a while. And then all that flooding started, yeah. Because in most, a lot of my enjoyment over there in the Delta came during January and February because a lot of the deer hunting crowds gone home. Mm-hmm. Folks, folks who got a lick of sense know better than to come over there and spend a whole lot of time squirrel hunting because you can make a lot of trees, but you ain't gonna see many squirrels. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. when I used to make hay while the sun was shining over there. Um, yeah, you know, I'd get over there on a Friday night, go coon hunting. I would hunt longer then because I knew I'd get home, take to the cabin, take a shower, jump in bed, and just sleep till whenever I woke up and then eat something. Then I might go squirrel hunt for a little while, just get the dog out. But then I'd start back coon hunting again. So those were the enjoyable times, to be honest with you, um, January and, and uh, February. But we just, thank goodness we hadn't had that kind of flooding a repeat since last year or this year. You know, now, I did drive over there um, not long after the season was over this year, and I didn't drive the truck through the gate. I could have, but I had to pick my way. But, uh, you know, there's water all out there, um, except for underneath the cabin.
0: That's It's a bad situation, that Mississippi River. It it gets up and it pushes the deer out and the squirrels and everything else, you know.
1: Well, And the sad part is, the frustrating part is it ain't got to be that way. Um, you know, Louisiana and Arkansas have had pumps for since the 20s or 30s, I believe it is, you know, years ago. So it's, uh, I figured after it happened two or three years in a row, the, the adverse impact upon agricultural farming over there, because there ain't enough people over there to re- create a stink so as to yep. get something. But I figured if we start cutting in people's pocketbooks, some of the large agricultural concerns over there. I figured something would get done because money talks.
0: It's a different way of life over there. It's like, like everything stopped in the fifties and sixties, and the rest of the world moved on, and they just stayed the same way. It's just man, little-
1: I love it. You know, people over the years have said, "Well, man, come come to Missouri, come up there and come squirrel hunting." And uh, Mark Twain or you know invited me to go elsewhere. And, and you know, be honest with you, man. It's hard to justify until we got into all this flooding situation. But, you know, for years, you get over there, and if it's not overly wet, which you can't be because it's the Delta, but you get over there and you walk around, you can't find a pine tree, first of all. It's a lot of good, mature, hardwood timber. Mm-hmm. The, biggest di- the biggest elevation change is parking on the side of the road and walking down in the ditch and walking up the other side to get into the woods. I mean, it's flat, easy walking. And you can kill gray squirrels, you can kill red squirrels, you can kill black fox squirrels. And Lord knows there's raccoons everywhere there because most of the coon hunters over there are hound guys. And they're not going out there taking too many coons. I mean, there's the biggest concern I got about the coon population over there in the 20 years I've been hunting over there is they're going to get distemper and wipe them out because nobody is controlling them, especially when they start growing all that corn over there. Yeah, that's something that's happened since I've been going over there.
0: You know, they had that big jarvis Humphreys hunt over there, you know, and rolling for it. That coon hunt, the $100,000 coon hunt, I don't know if you heard about that. but but
1: well, like I said, they just don't, you know, again, not being a hound guy, Cody, you'll get a kick out of this. So when I started hunting with some guys that had hounds over there, Mel was the one to kind of tell all the hound boy secrets because he, you know, he wanted to get in the food with guys I was talking about had the black and tan coon hunt, Yes, sir. And I finally asked him one night, I said, Mel, I said, tell me something. I said, what is wrong with these hound fellas? I said, I've been with a few of them. And as soon as I whip out that pistol at the tree and get ready to kill the coon, man, I almost shot one of his finger off the other night because he reached up there and grabbed, you know, trying to <laughs> push the gun down saying, don't shoot that thing. <laughs> I said, look, I ain't the smartest fella in the world. and You know I'm hound stupid. I said, but there's got to be something going on. He said, yes, there is. He started grinning. He said, You know, most of these boys want to be competition owners. He said, Them hounds ain't smart enough. He said, You go killing too many coons of them hounds. He said, They'll take it to the, the little old local $25 PKC hunt the next weekend. And he said, As soon as they try to walk away from that tree and ain't knocked that coon out to that hound, that son of a going to slip back around behind them and go back to the same tree. And that's a minus in most hound registries. Wow. I said, I said Ah, okay now i see what's going on because man it was it was just weird to me i'm thinking y'all acting like we're shooting like bald eagles or something out of the tree or you know some sort of dangerous species (laughs) i said you know they're all over over here we can't possibly kill all these coons out of this tree
0: that garner the other day said on there i can't remember exactly how the person worded it on facebook but somebody asked about it will it hurt her dog or something if they shoot squirrels out to their dog or something and garner said How many people go fishing, planning on not trying to catch a fish? How how many people go deer hunting, not trying to kill a deer? You know, how many people go rabbit hunting, let their dogs run the rabbits and don't try to kill the rabbits? He said, shoot the squirrel. (laughs) but
1: Well, if you ever go squirrel hunting, or coon hunting for that matter, but especially squirrel hunting, he may have changed because it's been a long time since I've been with him. But some of these boys that, that I know of, including Garner, Man, you walk in that tree, you think they're having a dove hunt out there in the woods. (laughs) I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, look, y'all about to hurt. uh, Yeah, Y'all going to make me go deaf. I mean, I'm the same guy that, you know, steel shot isn't worth a flip for killing ducks, as I appreciate it. But because you have to use it on federal land like uh, Panther National Wildlife Refuge, you know, a lot of guys I know buy that steel cheap duck hunt and steal shot and use it but man it doesn't mean that much to me to kill a squirrel or a coon anymore and i carry 22 over there if if it's october first weekend and there's every leaf on the tree because it just doesn't matter to me i think you know there was a time when me and my hunting buddies you know we uh thought that our uh our sense of pride and self-worth and that of our dogs was directly tied to how fast we could get a tailgate full of dead critters posted on the internet.
0: Well, that you know. and, and there's nothing
1: wrong with that. As long as you're doing it within the eyes of the law, but my hope for everybody is at some point in time that you get to where it's more about the camaraderie and also the quality of the dog work. Cause anybody can kill a bunch of squirrels. I mean, you can take a Shih Tzu out there and walk through the woods shaking vines. Yes. You know? Well, I, I
0: grew up running deer dogs and, I've rabbit hunted with dogs and squirrel hunted, obviously, and coon hunted. And other than, like, I guess bear and mountain lion and such, like, if you could do it around here, I've done it with a dog, just about it. And I like to see a dog doing what it's supposed to do good. If it runs rabbits and it runs rabbits extremely well, I just enjoy watching the dog run rabbits. You know, if it trees squirrels make uh, really good, I enjoy watching an animal do what it's supposed to do the right way. Good. So that that's what that's, it is
1: for me. That's kind of why, you know, when I was uh competition on a regular basis, there was actually a part of me, Cody, that looked forward to uh, getting past the uh, spring turkey season to take a dog out during the day before it got too awful hot. Um, putting a uh, 22 pistol on my hip and a water bottle on the other hip and going out there, just me and the dog. I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time at the tree. Um, it was, you know, if you knew your dog and you're trying to tune it up, keep it sharp, keep it fit, you know, in the event, you know, some of the off season hunts roll around or just getting ready for the next season. Those are some of the most enjoyable, peaceful times of my life just walking around the woods. Cause I'm focused on watching the dog. I'm taking in nature, you know, and what have you. But, you know, I'm I'm not spending a whole lot of time. I, some of these folks act like that uh, every grocery store within driving distance of the house is closed, and whether they get that next squirrel or whatever is the difference of whether they're going to die, starve to death, or live. <laughs> and that, that just ain't me, man. I mean, yes, I ain't skipped a squirrel in 15-plus years. That don't mean I ain't killed a bunch of them, but I always – I had an older um, gentleman that lived um, in Canton, and we worked out a system years ago that uh, – we had two of those large 120-quart white, you know, igloo marine coolers like you buy at Walmart, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd go over there to the Delta. It seemed before I bought the cab when I stayed over there at Mr. Moody's at the, um, on the east side at the camper place. But we, I'd, I'd drive over there, and I'd have whatever I was hunting in the box and uh, have a, an empty cooler in the back of the truck, and here we go. We get over there, and you know, and if somebody wanted to keep the squirrels, tell, I tell him, said, "Man, take however many you want, but one thing is, Mister Morrison ain't skinning none of them. So you better take them and do with them what you want to." <laughs> I said, "If you don't want them, I said, then uh, put them in that cooler down there, either at the at the camper or nowadays underneath the cabin." And uh, man, there were weekends we have to sit on the top of that thing to get it to latch and i get somebody to help me and i called before i got a phone that worked over there in the early days mr bully was named mr wc bully had a joint country store in an industrial part of Canton. and i could get a signal when i got to yazoo city so i'd call him coming over the bridge i say mr bully you up he said yes sir i am i said i'll see you in about 30 minutes i pull up over there in the sawmill quarters And he'd get somebody to help me unload that 120-quart cooler. He'd go to the little old uh, shed behind the juke joint and pull out another one that had been bleached and cleaned. You could have eaten off of it. And we'd swap coolers. And uh, that went on for years until he he had to get put in an old folks home. But um, I finally asked him one day, I said, who is skinning all these critters? He said, well, you want to meet him? I said, yes, I do. He said, good, because he's been wanting to meet you. So we go down the street and around the corner, literally, told him. <laughs> and this little bitty old black fella, he probably couldn't have been hey, shorter than my wife. He probably wasn't even five feet tall. He stuck out his hand to shake, and I knew immediately who was skinning all them critters. He had a hand that looked like Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> I'm talking about had fingers look like billy clubs. <laughs> and he told me, he said, yes, sir. He said, I'm the one. He said, uh, "And I just wanted to meet you." I said, "Y'all some stone cold killers, ain't you?" Yeah. I said, well, yes, sir. <laughs> So what he did was, is that uh, Mister Bully out of the store over there in that old community, you know, most of those folks were raised up eating wild game, yep. but they didn't have anybody in the families, you know, that were actively hunting on a regular basis. So Mister Bully would sell a gray squirrel for like a dollar, cleaned, a fox squirrel for like a dollar fifty. And depending on what time of the year it was now, if I was bringing back some of those, you know, say Thanksgiving on what I used to call them Delta jumbo deluxe coons, you know, he could sell them around the holidays for as much as $25. Hey. And that, not I never kept track of what I gave him. They never kept track of it until one year, just for giggles, his wife, um, who kind of managed the money, the little old store, she had a little old scratch pad and that's when I made that comment earlier. So in the 2010 to 2011 season, when I was hunting primarily 2020 tank from September to the world hunt in December, and then I was also giving him alternating with Apache two for the entirety of the season till it closed, you know, in early 2011, she actually had kept track, and I had brought her. Now I didn't kill them, you know. All I hunted with other people too, but I had brought them a total of two hundred coons that one season. Wow. You think about what kind of money that man was making? He was making a good, good chunk of money because I just him <laughs> because you know, I just enjoyed doing it. Was no sweat. It was on my way home, I, you know. And he was a good friend, and anybody in that community that needed some sort of legal help, if I thought I could help him, hell, Mister Billy would load him up in the car and bring him to my office, you know. <laughs>
0: oh that's funny i heard that giving legal advice no
1: they tried to shame me into those years for about a decade we would go down to giles island um and uh do a fundraiser for the louisiana 4-h clubs and uh they tried to shame me down there that first year i'm sitting up on the porch having a drink after we got done hunting and the the dog men were over there with the guides skinning squirrels and I remember like it's yesterday, Danny Wilkes he looked over there. He said, Marson, he said, You too good at skinning these squirrels? I said, Well, I don't skin my own squirrels, DW. I don't know why I'm gonna go down there when them other fellas get paid to skin them squirrels. <laughs> I said, No, I'm gonna sit right up here, but y'all do you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> y'all got all us other folks feeling jealous about these Giles Island trips.
1: Look, Cody, that was um so the story is, is that Steve Borlawn Super nice guy. One of the nice guys you ever meet in connection with uh, tree dogs. He went to school with one of the guys. It was head of the Louisiana Ag. Okay, that was helping run this thing, and they approached Mister the Bancroft family at that time on Giles Island, and they approached him about it. And while Jimmy Riley, the head guy, wasn't very keen about letting a bunch of old curd dogs on the island messing with their four and $5,000 deer, Mr. Bancroft was all in favor of it. So here we come down there that first year, and it's me, Danny Wilkinson, James Mincer, and Steve Bordelon, and I want to say Larry Wagner was with us. So we show up down there, and we got these old curd dogs, and we don't get the warmest. I mean, we sense, you know, Jimmy Riley is a super nice guy, and we, yeah. they used to look forward to us coming down there, but... That first year, he's like, what kind of rednecks have y'all let on this island? Going to run the deer <laughs> off the island? and said, that's probably going to taste the deer all over. So it was a hard sell at first until he went with, uh, I want to say he went with Steve or Danny the very first morning and then went with me that afternoon. and you no. Know, no problems whatsoever and look you better have a deer broke dog when you go down there don't bring something that's kind of sketchy down there because like dove i had to get up on her butt a couple times down there but uh man we just had the best time and so i'll never forget the very first tree of the very first time that i turned a dog loose down there was apache yeah Man, he rolls in and they got these old slave levies that are throughout the island from eons ago. This only kind of rise in the topography. And he goes in there and he crosses over one of their slave levies. And apparently on the other side, he just falls tree, And he is about to turn himself inside out. Well, wow. And my gosh, what has he got? A bear cub <laughs> up the tree looking at it? So I walk on in there, walk on in there. And the guy's kind of back behind me, and the rest of them back here running their mouth because we ain't, it's like I said, it's the first tree of the first morning. And some of these guys can't hardly spell squirrel dog. Um, <laughs> and so we get in there, and I'm looking at him, and sure enough, he's already lathered up. And about the time I get around to where I'm on tying back, I look up there, and about 15 feet above his head, there is a black fox squirrel upside down on the tree and it is barking back at apache hey and i thought and i said oh lord i'm looking up at the squirrel and the guy comes up behind me because he ain't well versed in squirrel hunt with a dog either he said oh man don't worry about that he said we killed them black ones too i said man i, know, I figured you did i said no what i'm telling you is i said these squirrels are so dog ignorant i said we gonna kill squirrels too we get sick of killing squirrels. And we did that first time. The only thing that slowed us down was they got a lot of bull nettle Mm -hmm. on the eye and it had been a warm kind of early, you know, late seat, late winter, early spring and uh, Apache old rattler and lucky Hank both got in pretty bad where we had to give them some decks and, and what have you. I mean, they all recovered fine from it and all that, but it kind of put them out. So we hunting the the B team, for the latter part of the trip down there, but yeah, beautiful. There's not an oak tree on the entire island. All the oak trees were made into lumber to build the Manitoba homes. But there's a lot of wild pecans and hackberries. Wow. not a single, not a single gray squirrel, Cody. We ain't never killed a gray squirrel down there. Wow. They're all fox squirrels. You know, And it, I thought i died and gone to heaven, man. I said, shoot, I, because I did it you I know, was losing money because I was taking away time. I treated it like a vacation. I was losing time from my law practice, yeah. as were others, you know, missing time from work or taking vacation. But it was like a vacation, man. It was way good. And uh, you had a guy assigned to you that worked there, you know, throughout deer season, what have you. So he knew that I didn't like the back of his hand. They drove us around from spot to spot and carried the hunters out there. The only thing you had to worry about was, you know, Making sure that these guys understood, you know, don't shoot if the squirrel bales out on the ground. Because some of them, like I said, had never done anything remotely close to that. They may have been deer hunting or duck yeah. hunting or something. I understand squirrel dogs. But, yeah, that was about a 10-year gig that uh, it was like uh, about as good as it gets when it comes to food with squirrel dogs. They would let us coon hunt on the island. Man, we would kill coons. They wanted you to kill everyone you treat in the daytime, which we treat a lot of them. But they never would. It gave us 10,000 excuses, but I think it was just, again, that was that leftover part. They didn't want us out there. They wanted us, to, us and all the shooting and all that to give the deer a rest. Yeah. But man, we could have ever coon hunted that thing because it's got a big old nice sandy road all the way the entire length of it. We could have kicked them out in front of a, a UTV and probably killed coons till we filled up 18 with a trailer full of <laughs> <laughs> Oof, That
0: sounds like heaven down there.
1: And we always had some really nice dogs down there, too. Like I said, you know, we had uh, several world champions and squirrel champions. I mean, it was, uh, um, like I said, you just better not bring you a uh, um, a dog that could be tempted because, like I said, man, you'd be walking out through there, and all of a sudden you'd see up ahead. You're just driving to go hunt morning or night or on the way back. It looked like uh, cattle crossing the road. And there were some big old good ones down there too now. Some of them look like moose coming through the woods.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's where our big deer is over in that delta. We got them little deers over here. We got them little bucks up here in hill country we in. All we got is pine farms.
1: Yeah, them pine cones don't make for very good antlers, do they? No,
0: but they make for good thicket. Now they can hide in them, but but they don't grow big. We skated over Tank while ago. You won a world championship with him, didn't you?
1: Well, I handled him for Brian and Shannon. So we had had I can't remember how the conversation came up. It was before I actually brought him back, but it was the September of twenty ten hunt that um we had already agreed to do it in advance of that. I wanna say maybe it was at the june hunt we got talking about it and it was over the summer and they didn't want to send him down that early so i brought him back from uh jamestown um in september of 2010 and hunted him up until i brought him back up for the uh world hunt that year in december so i had him down there a little less than three months and um you know he was one of those dogs that uh he had been coon hunted probably 75% or more of the time he had been in the woods, um, just because that's what Shannon and Brian did back in those days. They enjoyed coon hunting more. uh, But he was a nice squirrel dog, and I I did both with him here. And, um, you know, the only thing I saw, and you could tell that I think was more the product of having been coon hunted the vast majority of his life to that point, was that if it was a slow day down here, like I remember one day, one of the first times I took him, it was real balmy and humid. I think, uh, I can't remember. It was either Joey Thompson or Todd Jackson or somebody was with me down there hunting that day. And he was over there kind of fiddle farting around on some colder tracks. And, uh, and I just, you know, didn't get ugly with him. Nothing like that. I just went over and kind of scolded him and told him to get on. It took a couple of times of that to where he kind of learned real quick that he didn't have to, uh, Grub up a squirrel, unlike you would up there in the mountains of Virginia where they live. If he just went on a you know 100 200 yards, he'd find a good hot one. Yeah, now, you know, the only complaint I had, of course, I give Brian and Channing grief about this, so I I noticed that he did not have any problems in the world treating a possum pretty quick. And I told him, and I called up, I can't remember which one I probably is I think it was Brian that I talked to first, so I probably eventually talked to both of them, but I called up there and I said, "Hey, I said, y'all boys didn't break this summer of gun off the possums, and kind of like that same conversation I told you Chuck Loudon had how me about not walking up and grabbing an Apache off the tree, and He said, "Well, think about what you're asking he said now would would you if you lived up here where we live and hunted that dog cause he had a set of wheels on him now um." He said, Would you rather walk three mountain ridges over and have your wife or girlfriend have to come pick you and the dog up to look at a coon? Or would you like him maybe catch a possum, tree a possum on a slow night um, somewhere (laughs) in between where you cut it loose and where you could have found that coon? I said, Well, got it. I said, Look. And I told him at it. I said, Look, I'm not going. I'm not going to get ugly with your dog down here. I'm going to take good care of them, make sure that they had insurance. So we, you know, they, they called up and put insurance on him through that same agency. We were talking about before they sent him down here.
0: That one that's going to sponsor us.
1: Yeah. 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 That one was yeah, more fosters. They yeah. put in, cause I said, look, y'all are good friends and this is a nice dog. I said, I, I'm going to treat him like he would be one of my own. I'm not going to turn him loose in an unne- you know, unnecessary dangerous place or circumstance. I said, but one of the best ways to end a good friendship is to have a uncompensated loss between friends. I said, so y'all put insurance on him and hopefully nothing will ever happen and it'll make me feel more comfortable, make y'all more peace of mind. And, uh, you know, they were kind of worried about him, kind of, because it's completely different terrain. Uh, they hadn't started going over to white river by this time. I don't think, yeah. they, in subsequent years, they kind of got a good taste of hunting in the Arkansas Delta. But they were kind of worried. I can't remember which one it was in particular, probably Brian, because Brian's more the worried. Shannon don't get excited about nothing too much um, and worried about him kind of getting out of pocket. And I said, well, look, I said, if he gets out of pocket too often over here, I'm going to know something. He said, what you going to know? I said, well, he ain't as good a cooter dog as I think he ought to be. He said, well, how do you figure that? I said, because we have a lot of games, so he shouldn't have to ever go super far. And to be honest with you, Cody, I think the longest I ever – had him go to get treated on a coon that year that fall of 2010 was a little over 750 yards something like that yeah um he, he had actually hit a levee road and going down then bailed off it to, to an old uh food plot that hmm. uh, was treated on a big old snag i guess he'd run the coon down the uh down the levee road but man he would treat him you know at 50 yards if they were out or he'd treat him you know as far as you need to go but um he was an absolute, you know, good tempered nature dog. Um just I really I really like that dog a lot. You yeah, know, just really sweet dog. Now I'll tell you this funny story. So when I left Jamestown that morning <laughs> to bring him home, <laughs> it was probably in the high forties, unusually cool, okay, up in Jamestown. Uh-huh. And by the time I got to crossing the Alabama Mississippi line, to, you know, that last stretch to come home, it had gotten up to like ninety. I'm thinking wow. this old rascal, he ain't used to all that. So I actually pulled over somewhere around Bridge or something, got a bag of ice and threw it in the dog box with him. <laughs> but I'm thinking, man, I ain't trying to let him die heat exhaustion before he can get into the house. So knowing that he's hot, and it was hot as Hades when I pulled into the driveway, so I didn't even stick my head in the house to tell my wife, hey, honey, I'm back from Jamestown yet. So I quickly drop the tailgate, open it up, get him on out. And I'm walking up to the kennels to let myself in the exercise yard and put him in his kennel up there. And unbeknownst to me, my wife is watching me out the back door. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice that I recognize. is my sweet wife. And she says, honey, what are you doing coming back from Jamestown with a plot ham? (laughs) Surely not. I said, baby, that's your mouth. I said, That's one of Apache sons. Don't you talk like that. Uh, uh, <laughs> he said, hmm. She said, Well, huh, he look kinda houndy, don't he? He <laughs> surely does. Uh, of course now we got Buster down here. Buster looks, you know, he, he looks a whole lot more like Tank than he does Apache because he got these big old ears and kind of, you know, flopping muzzle and all that.
0: Now did, said, did Tank hunt like <laughs> Apache? Yeah,
1: Tank, um you know, in the daytime, yeah, kinda similar. But at night, um, Tank had a lot more range on him than uh than Apache would.
0: So he didn't cut the woods up as well, he moved on. Well, I
1: mean he did. He did okay, but now it didn't take him. Like I said, Tank and Buster are more alike than they are like Apache's hunting style, you know, because Tank wasn't as bad as Buster. Now, Buster's one of them dogs. You cut him loose, and you might be looking at him on a clean, clean woods. You might be able to actually see him if you kind of crook your head around and, and maybe crouch a little bit. You might be able to see where he's treed.
3: Yeah.
1: Second tree, mm, about 300, maybe 350. And the third tree was anybody's guess. It might be two thirds of a mile for no good reason whatsoever. Every time. Do like clockwork?
0: Well, it, it didn't
1: take much of that. At that point in my life, I'm thinking I done made a $10,000 mistake. I bought way more horse than this jockey's want to ride. Now <laughs> had I gotten him back when I was fooled with the likes of Mindy in them earlier years, man, Buster would have suited me to an absolute T. I could have hurt a bunch of folks' feelings with him because he got the two main traits. That 90% of Mountain Curves lack at least one of. Yep. Buster got more tree and more hunt than most dogs. And the sad part is, Cody, ain't nobody bred to that dog.
3: Well,
1: I had boosted him, but by the same token, I mean, you would if I were looking to improve the uh the tree power and the hustle, because you know, all these fellas tickle me getting on the internet putting these videos of uh what I call fast field fights. Yeah. You see out there in the distance that there's some trees out there. Look like some woods, and they cut the dog loose, and they got to run across the field. Yeah. i I don't even understand what that's about or why that's important or impressive, but you do you. Yeah, and they take out of there like somebody's you know chasing them or something, brother. All right, Buster, you cut Buster loose in some woods, and it ain't got to be real clean woods. The first time I ever cut him loose, he took off like I hit him with a hot shot. And all of a sudden, I felt something pop on top of my head, on my ball cap. I'm thinking, man, this fool's going to run out of here so fast. He spooked a squirrel up above me. I thought it was maybe an acorn or something hit me on the head. <laughs> I reached up there, and it was a dirt clog. Hey, I said, this son's going to kick him mud up on the top of my head, and I'm six foot two.
0: <laughs> uh. And that's
1: the way you know it, like a horse through the woods. He would have been a perfect dog to hunt off a horse.
0: Well, that's... Then kind of get going, get treated by yourself. dogs. what's winning right now.
1: Yeah, but like I said, and that's all fine, and I understand that. And even was one of those people that thought I had to have that at some point in my life. But you know what? Them days is them days long past me. Yeah. I don't want that. I don't need that. But, uh, yeah, I hunted him some this past year. I went and actually got him back from the guy that bought half interest in him because I actually wanted that. Ashley was a hound, younger hound guy, had had hounds all his life. Had food with a few mountain curs, didn't have enough hunt. Um, tree wasn't necessarily the big thing with him, but, you know, they didn't have enough tree really to suit him either. So the boy that turned me on to the insurance and, you know, was the, was the uh, field trial lab, you know, Tritronics guy, their friends. And he said, look, he said, I know a fella that I've known for years that's got a dog that would probably suit you to a tee. So we met up over there at Twin Oaks and he put on the show that day. Now we wound up about two two or three miles from the truck but thankfully we had a road we could walk back to it. and uh he wanted to buy the whole dog i said no sir i said i'll sell you half of it so he spent most of his uh, time down there um in pinola simpson county mississippi since mm-hmm. i've had him but actually
0: let me ask you this question all right what's the favorite
1: dog that you've owned it's hunting dog you're gonna laugh at this probably and others might find this kind of funny but you know it's a it's a well, tell us the toss-up. Well, the one that probably, ironically enough, is one of the ugliest, least athletic. But if I only got one more dog, or I used to say if I could have him in his prime as long as I could hunt or want, and one just like him, a replacement, it'd probably be Apache 2 in some ways, in many ways, most ways.
0: Well, tell us why.
1: Well, first of all, let's start off with the fact that when... That fellow that I told you I gave all the squirrels and coons to, yes sir, he was good enough to go pick him up. Les Hart and Tommy Buford had tried the dog out for me in Eastern Kentucky because they were from around Corbin, and I trusted both of them. They said, "Look, said I think you'll like this dog." They've been down here pick up puppies and hunt with me and what have you, so I trusted them. And what they were good enough to do was get the dog from the old man that had him, and meet Mr. Bully that I was, you know, doing all that squirrel and coon trading with. And Mr. Bully was good enough to leave from Camp Mississippi and drive to Nashville, Tennessee, and pick him up. And so, by the time Mr. Bully gets back, he shows up at my house at like two thirty in the morning. And uh, I walk out there, and of course it's dark. I don't even think I had a coon light on my head or whatever. We're just talking about looking from the garage light or the dome light and the in the Ford explorer yeah i open the dog box up and i reach in there to put my hands to put a leash on this dog and i'm thinking hey man now what in the hell have you brought me mr bully because i'm feeling all this old thick coat man i feel like no <laughs> home to me and so i walk him up there put him up in the kennel night. we got lights up there in the kennel so i can kind of get a look him, i'm thinking huh all right fair enough so i did that stupid mistake that i told you that People sometimes do. So I have my nephews we're just living with us in, and I took him out the next night coon hunting, which I knew he wasn't a coon dog, but I couldn't help myself. So I took yep. him out there. What I noticed as soon as my nephews are around by the box, I had a Kubota back then, and he gets out there, and you see the whites of this dog's eyes, Cody. Like my two nephews are the devil. He ain't acting funny towards me, he's acting funny towards them, kids. Huh. I'm like, okay. All right, so I'm making mental notes of all this. So I cut him loose and I don't know whether it was because he had a anchoring to go do what I'm about to tell you, lie on this tree. Or he was scared of my nephews. But in any event, man, he flies out of there and it ain't just a minute. He rolls up right by the cypress swamp in there where I treat a blue million coons with his kin folks and in laws and
2: outlaws and wow, 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 wow.
1: Man, I start elbowing my nephews. I'm thinking, man, boys, look what we got here. And uh, I walk in there, and it's obvious, man, I couldn't know in that tree. <laughs> and when I walk over to him, he meets me about, oh, I don't know, 10 feet from the tree, and starts nuzzling my hand. And I'm thinking, hmm. okay, okay, get your butt back on that tree. Get on the tree, man. So he goes back in there, and he gets up on the tree, and he's loading it up. And so I handle it. And- him back and go check another side just to make sure because leaves are off the tree good i mean it's a it's a nice size tree it's not a sapling or nothing, but I, I'm you know there's nothing up there well this goes on about four or five more times within about a 40 acre woodlot and i said okay nephews it's time to go back to the house we got some calls to make and some work to do so i make a call first to uh vance rutledge and jeff vance and jeff Rutledge are the ones that raised him and owned his mama up in Indiana. And I get, uh, Jess on the phone, the boy, the son. And I said, Hey man, I said, uh, what's the story with this dog and kids? He said, well, he said, I guess you've already figured that out. I said, yeah. I said, what have I got myself into? So when he was a young dog, he was tied out in the yard and one of Jess's, uh, nieces or nephews toddler was out there playing with the dog everything was hunky dory until the toddler got its uh foot leg caught up in the tie-out chain well the kid falls down and being a kid it goes to squalling and all that and so the adults in the house hear it and his father vance comes running out bailing off the porch scares the crap out of the dog dog takes off running which makes it almost difficult for the you know to get the the chain from around the kid's foot yeah. and he gets rough with the dog. He basically starts reeling the dog into him and whooping the hell out of the dog to get the collar off of him. Cause dogs freaking out. So you couldn't pour a kid on that dog to the day he died. He wouldn't hurt one because he wouldn't get close to one hey. <laughs> and kids walk around up there at Jamestown. That's what I'm going to break his neck, try to get away from. So I always kind of kept him tied off by himself. So that was the answer as to why. He was acting so crazy. So next, the next problem was about the slick trend and wanting a treat. Nuzzling my hand was so Jess sold him to an old coal miner who hunted off of an ATV with his grandson. And this old guy didn't take long to figure out. Then when he sent his grandson into the first tree or two, the dog would take off because he was scared of the grandson. So to solve that problem, the old timer gives his grandson a pocket full of treats to go into the tree.
2: <laughs>
1: well, this was an extremely smart dog. I yeah. never had to hands on to. You could tell to something or use the tone of your voice. Only time I ever had to shock him was one time, and I got him good off of armadillos because all them Yankee dogs come down here and full the armadillos, his daddy included. Yeah, and so. That was what the problem was. That dog would go, he he was a smart dog. He figured, well, I'll just run over the next ridge over here and lock down trees and lie this boy, even though I don't like seeing the boy and I don't want to be around him because of that other experience. I know he got a pocket full of trees, so I'm going to get a snack.
0: Yeah, he was just trying to get him a snack before he we went
1: hunting. Right. And so I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I have spent a significant sum of money for a dog that's got all kind of issues. Well, he never got much you know he never changed with regard to the kid kids like i said he wasn't ill to them, nothing like that you just you couldn't tell you for example if i drew out on the cast i had to tell somebody I said look you know you can't bring your small child he got better about teenagers but if it was a kid kid uh-uh man he'd be out there in the woods he wouldn't he wouldn't even come to me if a kid was standing next to me if i was calling him
3: well wow.
1: so that never got worked out but now the slick trend, We just had to be very, very careful. I told my hunt buddy at the time who liked to shoot about as much as Garner, see if he gets something (laughs) to move. I said, uh uh. I said, the only time you pull the trigger when I'm hunting this dog is when you see the meat. I said, We're gonna get him out of this. And he got out of it. And he was from that point on, Cody, you could hunt that dog with hounds, with feist, you could hunt that dog with a rhinoceros. He was um like his daddy. He wouldn't put up with no monkey business, but he wouldn't start none either. And he was just a, you know, he was really what I enjoyed. So I noticed that he was a little more nose, nose more to the ground, kind of more track oriented. And so I thought, well, let me try him coon hunting too. So I took him with Mindy some, and man, he took to it like a duck to water. Um, I the only mistake I made was that on a slow night I would walk some, so he, you know, rather than just waiting around and waiting for him to go on out.
2: Yeah,
3: But
1: I, I hardly ever took him for, if I took him for at least an hour to an hour and a half in a decent spot of woods, it was a rare night. I didn't knock a coon out if I wanted to, or look at one or two. I mean, he was very accurate. When When he barred, you could tell when he came on the tree, if he hit it hard with that old raspy voice and never checked up, it was a coon in that tree. It was no guessing about it. You might not find if it was in a hole, for example, but, um, wasn't bad to tree a possum, um, would catch him on the ground occasion. Like in, in Vance and Jess had told me that when he was a young dog, he'd catch him up there in Indiana around those agricultural fields, but he was really kind of my coon dog. But, um, he actually wound up, I made him a squirrel champion and, uh, he beat Farrell's Jojo and uh burlap head to head in squirrel cast, hey. which were two pretty nice dogs. Yeah. Now Farrell's JoJo got him back at night, beat the brakes off of him in a coonhunt, which I didn't see that coming no how. But Tommy <laughs> Howard ha- had her then, um, and uh, like I said, he was in a lot of ways. If you just wanted dogs, you could take anywhere other than with a kid, because like I said, the slick training part was easy enough. You know, it's remedy. the dog was smart enough where he understood I wasn't gonna put up with that foolishness. He wasn't finna get a treat. But, yeah, he was, I mean I mean, and you never had to. Uh, I left him in the woods for nine or two, but that was mostly because he was hunting with men. He'd get across the creek, not want to come back. But, uh, you know, most times if you called him, you know, I hunted him a lot, just me and him by ourselves, because he was no trouble, no problem, wouldn't fool with hogs, Um, just a, you know, just a real, like I said, the only problem was armadillos. When I first started coon hunting, I caught him one night in a flooded uh, deer plot, with his head in an old pushed up stump. And I thought he was maybe when I heard him first start barking, I figured he was just treated in the hollow at the base of a tree. But no, I seen what was going on. And, uh, you ever seen a bass try to sling a lure out of his mouth, Yeah. tail walking across it, well, that's about what it looked like. Cause I, he had all four feet in the water and I cranked that tritronics up and I mashed down on that thing. He come out across that food plot, like he was walking on water. <laughs> <laughs> and you could and you couldn't afford an Armadillo on that dog after that. He was a lot easier breaking his daddy was.
0: Uh, so, if you had to have one dog back, it'd be probably Mountain State Apache too.
1: Yeah, but now it's a very very close second. I never owned Mandy in her prime, and my regret about Apache is is that, you know, I enjoyed Apache, but I didn't let myself enjoy him enough because it was my first Go around with a well-known dog for which we paid a lot of money, and I didn't enjoy him as well as I should have because I was overthinking things. Yeah. So if I had him now, it was all business and not
0: as much pleasure.
1: Well, you know, I'm just worried about. Look, man, I, you know, I would go out of my way to give folks the benefit because what I didn't want to do was people to come back to the clubhouse and sure get on the internet and say, ah. I hunted with Morrison and that dog of his, and the only reason why he's winning is because he's cheating or he's doing this or he's doing that. And so I went out of my way. And so I didn't enjoy the dog as much as I would had I um, had him later on because the best advice I ever got with that dog was not necessarily from Adam or Chuck, but Brent Wood told me one night on a coon hunt up in uh, Arkansas. He said at some point in time, you're going to get in your head that you were that dog's worst enemy. He said, let when that dog trees call him, he said, how many minuses that "Yeah, that dog only drew 300 minus in his life. Really? Yeah. He drew one 125 plus first tree minus that with Adam, when he was a young dog. Um, I drew a second tree minus with him in an NKC hunt to retreat him and had the squirrels hunt with Bartley Kimbrough up in uh, new Albany. And then, uh, you know, and then Dwayne Holland drew a minus with him. I let Dwayne Holland, when I was so frustrated up at Arkansas home, one time when I couldn't get a first place, I said, look, Dwayne, I'll hunt your dog. It wasn't Luke. It was another dog. I said, I'll hunt your dog if you'll hunt this one. And heck, man, if you get a first place and get it legitimate without anybody fussing about it, I said, heck, I'll give you $500. I said, I'm just frustrated. I got more second places than I got fingers you know
3: well wow.
0: <laughs> that's funny
1: and of course duane went out there and had a slow cast and uh he said mark he said i don't know what happened he said i treat him like the eighth time of the two-hour cast he said i treat him like i'd done the other seven times he said i looked down he was up on a ridge looking down and for whatever reason about Minute and 45 seconds into it, he said he just decided he was going to go on over and he said he fell tree to get about 100 yards over the next ridge. He said, I don't know what happened. I didn't see the squirrel timber out, but he wasn't bad about timbering the squirrel anyway. Well, but all right. So
0: is there a dog that stands out that you have not owned that you've been with? One of your favorites?
1: Yeah. Um, a couple, but as far as just you know, day in, day out, competition or pleasure hunt, just an all-around dog that I um, enjoyed and actually hunted um, and handled was um, Shiloh's Chipper. And I don't say that about too many camera dogs, but uh, Todd Pounds had a chip, which is actually, um, you know, Taylor, the the Jackson's dog. We bred a patch to and got Dove and, and, and uh, Annie and the rest of them. You know, she was a daughter of Chip. Chip was a, a double grand pup of a dog called Herring's Buckshot, which a lot of folks say is one of the best curcoon dogs that ever, including Carl Smith. He's yep. one of the curcoon dogs that they've ever seen. Um, Chip was about 55 pounds, minded like a smart child, um, was a very good squirrel dog, but was just a phenomenal coon dog. Um, didn't have much tree style, but being as big as he was, yeah, you couldn't walk between his butt and the trunk of the tree. And what he would do is when he would hear after he'd fallen tree, that when he would hear you coming through the woods or thought he knew the direction, he would face towards you. So he had a great mouth anyway, and he's facing towards you. So he could, you could hear him for gosh, a mile away.
0: Mine does and that. He, Mine, mine's bad about that. I, I, he sits at the base of the tree and a lot of times he'll get up on the tree and he'll bark up at the tree. Kind of like, he don't bounce. Like you said, Apache, but heck, he'll turn his butt to the tree and he'll bark in your direction, whichever way he came from, rather, you know, he thinks you're coming from.
1: The only two, and there was another old Kimber dog that was well past his prime by the time I went with it called Pennix trouble. And, he was the same way, too. Matter of fact, he almost created a fight one night with Apache on a coon up in Arkansas because he wasn't doing anything malicious, but Apache's trying to do his bouncing. They're both treed on this old dead snag, and we hear a bunch of growling as we're walking in the tree, and I'm thinking, uh-oh, what's going on? Well, we throw the light on him in there, and Penix Trouble, who was a, about a 65-pound dog, he was huge, but buttermilk-colored, like a lot of Kimber's. And he sounded like a goose tree, how, how, how like that. I mean, and he was backing into Apache. Huh. Every time Apache get to his little spot and get ready to do his thing, he was putting his butt in his face almost like a female wanting to get bread. so Apache was growling at him, basically saying, Hey, <laughs> stop that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh so those are the only two that I ever saw do that was regular, a, both of which were, you know, heavy, almost hundred percent timberbread, but Shiloh's chipper was just a very enjoyable dog. I mean, just easy going, smart as a whip. Um, you know, you know, day and night. You know, he wasn't as great you know, he wasn't a great competition dog, I guess in some respects, but we never know because he really didn't get hunted a lot. But I took him up to uh Jamestown and handled him for uh Todd Pounds up there one September, and but for the fact that uh mountain jackson's bounce had done slightly better i think in the coon Hunt. i would have won the combination board with a chipper up there
0: well that might be a Kimmer thing mine's got some Kimmer in him not a whole lot but he's got some in there you know
1: um yeah you know, he didn't he wasn't a very good reproducer mindy was probably the best thing he ever reproduced that i know of but you know, one of my and he was crazy game crazy, but uh, Danny Wilkinson's dog called Lucky Hank that I told you about earlier was out of Mountain Jackson in Ohio. Bobby, as far as just a straight up squirrel dog, he was impressive. I mean, he'll you know, treat hard, hunted hard, very accurate. Um, he was one of my favorites. Um, Red River Posse was a very nice dog. The two thousand three OMCBA World Champion, she was out of uh, Trout Creek Smiling Red, which Trout Creek Smiling Red is the same Bob pine knot, tiger paws breeding as Ohio Bobby and uh, you know, Pepper's parents. Yeah. And uh, her mama was out of uh, Jordan Creek Tagging by U Whitney. So had that Streak and Streak Junior and L on the bottom, and she was a very, very nice dog. Big old yellow, kind of female, but uh, kind of, you know, slight built, but not, you know, frail built, but pretty good, you know, tall, lanky dog. Moved through the woods well. She had a very unique, kind of like a yo boy. You, 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 you could, you, know, you could no matter what you dropped her with. And it was huh. a loud voice, too. So, it went, no problem picking her out. Um, like I said, she was a very nice dog. Won the 03 OMC via World Hunt.
0: I got you. I was told to ask about Tree Power Inc. or <laughs> Incorporated.
1: <laughs> okay, so what happened was was um the it was me Brentwood and Todd Pounds, and of course we had three male dogs that were very differently bred. We were you know friends, buddies, what have you. So obviously Apache was my dog, Chip Chipper was Todd's dog, and then at the time, Brent Wood owned the um, 06 OMCBA World Squirrel Champion Woods Hardwood Dagger. And so we kind of did that just in a lot of ways, just to fool with folks. But the thought also was we had three very nice dogs that were rather differently bred in many respects, and that, uh, you know, we would breed our females amongst our own dogs. And also, you know, and I used to write a full car column about that. Yes, I guess after I had uh quit writing the o m c b a column um and become a board on the board of directors, I started doing that like i said we just we we would use it kind of to promote our three male dogs because we would you know people would send us or we'd get them off the internet, but most people would send us you know pictures of apache's dagger and, and chips you know offspring or hunts they'd had with them and what have you I just write a little, little short column in there. Um, we actually sponsored a cancer hunt up in Pennsylvania. So i of the trophies, you know, just trying to promote a little bit, I guess is what it was. I got you. Wasn't anything, you know, it was Tree power Inc., but it wasn't incorporated or anything like it, it was just three, <laughs> three buddies and all that. Well,
0: we've been on here about three hours. And before I get off, there's a lot of people that's done a lot of things for the breed, but I mean, you, you've been a board of directors for the OMCBA You've been a board of, on the board of directors for UMCA. You was the president for five years of the Mississippi Hunting Dog Association. I mean, you you have done a lot for hunting dogs and squirrel dogs, as it is, you know. And and I appreciate you as a whole and and coming on. But I have one bone to pick with you.
1: All right, lay it on me. What Why in the
0: heck is it so hard to become a member of the I Hunt page?
1: well <laughs>
0: I tried I I reasons. got the like six times I think
1: well so here's you know or maybe you don't know but you will when it comes out of my mouth so I there are three primary moderators administrators or what have you okay and they two of the three the other two chastised me on a somewhat regular basis for what were you thinking Morrison by letting so-and-so on or approving them, you know, what have you. people send me a message, for example, if I don't happen to see it or whatever, I get messages like the question you just asked. So um, Adam O'Donnell and Tim Cope are, and I are the three primary ones when uh, David Snyder decided he was kind of getting out of tree dogs for a while and wanted to give up that page because he's the one that started long before I even got on Facebook. Um, and so... That question, I don't think I've ever, I can't imagine why I would have, because up until very recently, no offense, Cody, but I didn't know who you were until you started doing the podcast and what oh. have you, and talking to Jeremy and some other folks. So I can promise you it wasn't me. Here's my job. It was probably
0: Adam. I'm calling Adam too. I'm, uh, I'm upset about it. I, y'all have made well, me you, work.
1: <laughs> well, so, you know, and so like I said, so some of them take it more seriously in depth. I got a basic general rule of thumb. If I look down there when you when it pops up and for approval or, or rejection, and I look down there and you and I have five mutual friends because I have to assume that if you're applying to get onto the I hunt original Mount Curves, the five mutual friends we have in common are likewise dog folks, or if it shows that you have five friends that are already members. I'm thinking. Well, look, it ain't my place to not let you be amongst your friends. <laughs> so I go ahead and approve it. Now the other two, on occasion, and we ha- do have some less active moderators that that I don't see them doing much often. But some of them get you know, on there. There were some people. It may not even be an Adam and Tim, but others in the past. You know, if they if they looked on your profile and saw that you had a bunch of hounds or feists or, or like or something other than Richard mountain curs on there, then they probably zap you for that.
0: Yeah. Oh, Um, it's all in good fun, but I did have to apply. And my my brother-in-law was on there and he was like, you know, they're doing this and this, you see that post. I was like, no, where are you seeing that? And he's like the I hunt page. So I got, I, I applied a month later. You see that on there? I said, man, I applied. I said, invite me. Maybe it's because I ain't getting you you need to invite me.
1: Well, he invited me. Yeah, see, that don't really mean nothing to me because it does show who's <laughs> invited him on there. And you know, I look down there and yeah. now the funny story is I'll tell you on a couple occasions, it'll be uh the wife
2: well, of buddy
1: that- I know. And it's like, who was it? Like, I want to say even Tim or somebody's wife. Applied. I said, hey, I shot them a message. I said, if you want your wife on here, I'll put her on here. I said, but you want to straighten your ass up some.
0: Well, what's funny is is, which obviously if people are listening to this, I'm assuming that they know about the page, but I guess it's private now. So I was telling my buddy about it, uh, you know, something that went on. Did you see that? And he's like, no, what page are you on? I was like, the I hunt page. And I screenshot it, and I sent it to him. And he's like, man, I can't find that. So I invited him, and I invited him about six times. And I finally sent you a message, I think, or I sent Chris a message. And I said, man, which it was his wife's profile. He don't have a Facebook. He just gets on hers to keep. That was always
1: uh, going back to squirrel header days or when I first got on Facebook in 2014, when Chris, I used to give him unmitigated, you know what over that. I said, look, partner, I said, it's hard for me to take you serious if you're sharing an account on Facebook (laughs) with your wife. (laughs) I said, "What?" I said, look, and don't, don't beat me up with her purse either i said what is wrong with you get your own facebook account here's this maybe he knows my number he can call me. he knows where i live i took him hunting over there uh with dove at uh across the river in ludlow one time that's the only time we've ever been to woods together i reckon
0: well so before we get off here are you planning on hitting any competition hunts this year
1: probably not but i am planning on doing more hunting now that i have uh um Gotten situated in this new job. You but, done? Yeah. You know, done
0: with the competition? You think? I'm
1: not going to say I'm done forever, but look, man, I did that pretty regular for, gosh, at least 15 years. I mean, yep. I ain't going to say, I, you know, I wasn't as hardcore as some of them about it. And I don't mean no offense, but, uh you know, part of the lure is it kind of grew and momentum and all that. These folks originally bragging about some of these NSD and USDC. And, Hunts about, man. I won, you know, two hundred dollars. I said, man, you know how much money I lose if I go out of town to a hunt. Yeah. I could stay back working, but now they're giving away trucks and things like that. I mean, so it's got to be, uh, you know, um, impressive in my to my way of thinking. And and um, but it's just one of those things that. You know, I'm not gonna say I wouldn't ever do it, and I would like to go maybe help out or guide or you know judge or something like that. But as far as just doing it on a regular basis, man, I get far more enjoyment now out of um, most of the hunting I do. Last year and the year before, what I got to do some, was uh, I meet up with Todd Jackson and a few others over mm-hmm. there, and to be honest with you, I wouldn't even, unless they shame me into it. I wouldn't even bring a gun. You know, I just leash around my neck, and while they were shooting, I'd go hand the dog or shake a behind or something like that just because, as we talked about numerous times, that I just enjoy the camaraderie. You know, getting that cabin over there kind of ruined me, too, because, you know, it ain't the Holly Bluff Hilton by any stretch of the imagination, but it's got central air and heat and a full kitchen and all that. I just enjoy Doing what we're doing now, talking about dogs and going out and hunting. But again, I ain't trying to uh, set the world on fire. I don't personally care if I show up back at the house with a squirrel or a coon in the back of the truck. Well, I, I would priorities.
0: I would much rather shoot them, but I also there's something about lining two two or three dogs up and see who can treat more. Now, obviously, the rules are are there to not necessarily see who can treat more squirrels because people can leash lock and stuff like that. But, you know, I just like to see whose dog's getting treed faster and in the same woods at the same time on the same day.
1: Hey, look, once I got over the apprehension, overthinking stuff with Apache early on, I think anybody that you talk to that I had been to the woods with, first of all, like I told you before we did this, I ain't never had a problem with running my mouth. And if I had a dog that, you know, especially if I was handing somebody else's dog, yeah, man, if that dog treats, I'm calling it treat, and I will shame you in the tree and yours, and, and I'll have a good time mm-hmm. out there, and I ain't trying to start no fights. I never have been in on a fight on a cast or, you know, nothing like that, not even really come close, but, man, I start talking more smack out there and having fun and all that, so I enjoyed the fool out of it when I did it, especially in the latter years because, again, I didn't take myself and my dog as seriously as a lot of these younger guys yeah. are, are, are new to the sport. You can ruin the fun and the enjoyment for you and others around you if your sense of value and your dog's value is strictly dependent upon the outcome of a 90 minute or two hour cast. Well, and I take that on occasion i said look man best advice i can give you and some of them don't like hearing it i said look you need to quit taking yourself and your dog so serious i said because every one of them can get beat it's like what i do for a living it's it's a competitive adversarial system in which i work and you can let it eat you up and spit you out because you take it personal or you can treat it as a profession and be uh you know we can be um you, you you can you can be a zealous advocate for your client, and you can disagree, but you don't have to be disagreeable with other lawyers. And it's the same way you can be. Look, your dog can't speak up for itself on a cast. You got to know the rules, and you have to advocate for your dog. But That's be honest, funny. because here's the thing: it amazed me in many respects that people will basically lie, cheat, and steal over a. Ten dollar plaque, <laughs> so as to so as to earn a title. Yo, yeah. now I'm not the smartest fellow in the world, but it don't take. And I never never try to make up a complete opinion or assessment of a dog based upon a two hour cast. But like I used to say all the time is, I can tell if you make it your business as I did for roughly thirty years of fooling with dogs. If you make it your business to know tree dogs, I can tell when a when a bad dog, I mean, a good dog is having a bad day, and a sorry dog is having a typical day within the span of two hours. And so yeah. you can have 10,000 titles on that dog, and I, I'm going to know exactly how they got there because I haven't seen enough in two hours to know that that dog is either having an extremely one-off day or you have hoodooed your way into having titles on a dog. Yeah. And you know, another thing is, too, is that people... You know, are just unashamedly, I mean, promoting dogs. You know, it's like, let your dog do the talking for itself. You know, if the dog is worth a flip, you won't have to tell everybody how great it is. They can see it. But in this day and age, you got so many people that will swear up and down. They know what your dog is or isn't based upon what they have gleaned from reading the internet
3: yeah
1: okay i'm not from missouri but i but i am one of them you got to show me kind of guy
0: well i i'll snap a lot of pictures and take a, a video real quick just because i enjoy it you know but i understand it i understand
1: that aspect of it all these people out there putting uh these young dogs on there showing how great and fancy they are these these uh you know these young wonder kids Man, that never impressed me. You know, I need to see what the dog is after it's probably in the 18-month-old. after, if it's a female, she's had her first heat cycle. If it's a male, after his nuts have dropped, after they basically got through puberty. Because, like, people, you don't know what exactly you have until they have gotten to be biologically an adult. Yo. Yeah. Because I've seen a bunch, and I'm not sure you have too. A bunch of these wonder pups <laughs> that, that somebody gets hoodooed into spending a good sum of money for, and what do they wind up a year or two down the road? Traded, sold, because they backed up, went backwards, or never got any better. The high water mark for those dogs was what they were in a starting pen at, you know, six to twelve months of age. Yeah. And oh. if you're somebody like me who doesn't raise their own puppies and start them before I get to spending mine and my wife's thousands of dollars on a dog, I want to make sure I know what I, what it is I'm buying.
0: Oh, I get it. I get it. Well, the internet's great and it's terrible at the same time. I mean, you it don't see the bad hot. days. Mine had a terrible day Saturday. It, just, it was hot. It was about 90 degrees and 85% humidity. I walked out the house, at sun up, and I said, man, I shouldn't go, but I done got up, and he looked terrible. But the weekend before, he looked really, really, really good. So they all have them days.
1: Well, I used to tell folks, they'd say, well, you know, what's one of the most important traits of a competition, though? I said, well, I said they are animals, so they don't have – good and bad days. you are going to have bad days when they don't feel right or whatever. I said, but my test is the closer it is to like a wind up toy, in other words you wind it up, it's going to make the same motion every time you turn loose of the key. Yeah. If you have a dog that is 90% what it is in a strange place with strange people and strange dogs that it is hunting in your backyard amongst your friends and and their buddies and, you know, dogs and what have you. Because a lot of people underestimate the uh, the effect that travel has and how dogs, you know, once they get out of their element, you've always heard that expression, man, yeah. that's the first time my dog's ever done that. I ain't never seen my dog do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time I heard that on a cast, which was usually about once a weekend between, between day or night, you will hunt coon hunting and squirrel hunting, I'm thinking, yeah, uh uh-huh. I hear what you're saying. And the first thing I would ask them, if I thought they were being genuine and truthful, I said, well, let me ask you this, man. I said, do you hunt your dog with strange people in strange places with strange dogs on a somewhat regular basis? And usually the answer to two out of those three questions is going to be well, no, not really, if they're honest. I said, well, that's your problem. I said, you got to get the dog off the farm. Um, I think the expression is now that I read on Facebook, all I was, take it to town but whatever term you use. It's the same reason why, especially if it wasn't one of my dogs or if it was one of my dogs that hadn't had that much experience. That's why I would always take off on Thursday morning to head to Jamestown, for example, or another hunt that was a long ways away. Because I want to get the dog up there, get it out, let it relax that first evening. Walk it around the place, let it see and smell and all that, put it back up in the dog box that night and then take it somewhere and turn it loose, whether somebody in the community shows me or I'm, you know, I have my own place to go and let it get out there and do what it does and then take it either that night on the coon hunt or the next Saturday morning for real for the cast. That way you're not just driving up, slinging a dog out, slapping a tracking collar on it and Heading off to the woods with a scorecard in your hand. It makes a lot of difference, man. Certainly, so, curd curve dog got quirks, man.
0: Oh, for sure. You
1: show me, you show me a curd dog that ain't got quirks, and I'll show you one that's either dead or brain dead because they <laughs> all have them.
0: Yeah, for sure. When I was talking about my dog, he looked good the first tree, but this is 100% my fault. I had a buddy with me, and we sat there and was bullcrap, and it was hot, and I let him get a little warm, and... You know, you let them get too hot, and they just don't act the same.
1: Well, let me tell you one funny story about that, and I'm gonna let you go. There was a dog called Riverwood PJ. She was out of Cause and Red River Posse, very nicely bred dog. And she Larry Wagner on her for a while. He had got her from James Spencer's buddy down in Woodville, and anyway, um Brent Wood. Wound up with her, bought her. And, uh, Brent had read it to Apache a time or two. But also he, after I retired Apache from competition hunting in June of 07, I told Brent, I said, Hey, I'm not done hunting this summer. So why don't you send PJ on down here? I'll tune her up and carry her up to the, uh, September 07 hunt. the handler for you. He said, Man, I appreciate that. Great deal. So I go get her, and uh, you know a little bit of cause goes a long way with the Morrison family around here because we have had two direct ones. We've had P.J. at our house, and we had Dagger at our house, two Uh very, very nice dogs that you couldn't have asked more for in the woods. Uh Well, P.J. was a little, speaking of quirks, so I get P.J. down here, let her get settled in. Of course, I've been hunting with P.J. since she was a puppy. You know but so i didn't let her sit around too long and so here we go we start hunting and i want to say it was maybe the second or third time i take her to the woods and we had gotten a little bit later start so it was hot i mean it's in probably by this time we're either um late june very end of june or very early july okay so it's, it's in central mississippi and it's hot so she goes out there and makes the first two trees that morning and uh you know does a good job on them but I noticed on the second or third tree that she starts She starts off like a house of fire, and then she kind of throttles it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, okay, I ain't you know, trying to give Brent's dog a heat stroke out here, but I kind of you know, encourage her to talk to her. So we made a couple more trees and called it quits and came back to the house. So I pull up at the house, and I figure, well, heck, I'm already hot and sweaty and nasty and dirty and all that from walking around out there in the summertime woods. I said, let me go put PJ up. And I said, I'm going to jump on the tractor. So I jump on the tractor, and that heifer, for an hour and a half, never shut her mouth. Wow. Barking every breath as I was making loops around the yard and property. <laughs> so so I'm sitting over there, and I'm getting, I'm hollering at her a time or two, and I'm getting mad as a hornet, Cody. So I come back. I park the tractor. And I'm good and nastier than I was when I showed up back at the house. And my wife says, where are you going? Because she sees me walking up to the kennel. Of course, I thought about going over there and beating the hide off of her. But I thought, no, I'm really going to fix you up now. So I went and got her, put the leash back on her, went right back down to the truck, jumped in there. And by this time, it's midday. And here we go, all the way back across the river. And we're going to the woods for a second time. And I cut her loose. And she runs in there, and just like we left off doing earlier that morning, she rolls in there, and, man, just pretty as you please. Oh, because oh, oh. oh, oh. oh, she was collar broke. I lit into yep. her butt, and we made us three really nice trees that we barked hard from start to finish like we did at the tractor. <laughs> that thing right there made me bad. man. Mm. I'm going think about either you're going to have a heat stroke out here or you're going to get your mind right but I could go on about P.J. bless her heart but <laughs> we were a special, she was special Ed and special in the woods she was a very nice dog but <laughs>
2: you
1: know, my gosh she had way too much of that cause crazy with her to oh. live in my house full time and of course the moral of the story is so right within the week or thereabouts of leaving to go to the hunt man I had her looking good had a looking cause I was hunting her. Um also with uh, Apache and Mindy at times. I would take one of them and put pressure on her when I was hunting her. And man, I had her looking great. I'm thinking hey, I'm gonna go up there and get this combo award. And then the heifer comes in heat. Wow. So that's when I wound up picking up the phone, calling pounds and saying, Hey, Got a change of plans with Brent's dog. This is when we're all in our little tree power thing. And I said, Hey, um, PJ's coming in heat, fixing running over across the river Lake Village, Arkansas, meet Brent. I said, But uh man, I ain't put in all this work. I'm gonna still going to uh um Jamestown. You want me to hunt chip for you? He said, Yeah, man, I appreciate that. So I met him in like uh Hattiesburg or wherever, picked yeah. up chip. And uh, took him for the week to ten days I had left before I pulled out of town, and did well with him. But uh yeah, that's her dog quirks. That thing right there, she was okay. She barked her heart out at the <laughs> tractor in the middle of the day, nonstop for an hour and a half, but couldn't, but couldn't. Uh,
0: she couldn't, couldn't hold the
1: tree. It, it couldn't, couldn't sustain it at the tree until I put <laughs> that put that light to her neck.
0: Oh, that's <laughs> funny. That's funny. All well, right, Mr. So you Mark, it
1: very much, man.
0: I appreciate you coming on. Like I said, I appreciate everything you've done for the sport and for hunting dogs in general. And everybody's going to look forward to getting this one out here because you're active on all the social media. So,
1: Well, I hope it ain't going to cost you too many listeners. Well,
0: you, you know, <laughs> I feel like you're going to draw a crowd. I do. So I thank you for coming on and, and, and giving me the time. All right, man. Thank you. Thank much. you. Bye. All right, guys, that was Mr. Mark Morrison. I hope y'all enjoyed the podcast as much as I did. We talked for quite a while. Mr. Mark is a big advocate for these dogs, and you can tell by the passion that he has for them and the stories he has. We really appreciate him at the Hunting Dog Public Podcast for coming on and telling his stories and for telling about some of these dogs he's had. So we appreciate y'all listening, and we appreciate him. Also, If y'all have not come to Facebook, please come to Facebook. Like our page, The Hunting Dog Public Podcast. Uh, Leave us a comment. Please rate us on your podcast provider. Give us a comment on there. That helps us on our ratings and helps the podcast companies push ours to other people that might not have heard about it. Also, please share it with your friends that might not have heard about us. We're just trying to impact the squirrel hunting community in a positive way, get some information out there, and try to promote hunting dogs in a good light. So y'all have a good one, and as always, enjoy the great outdoors.